This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. This week, we give Tate Fletcher a warm power athlete welcome at our headquarters in Southern California. Get to know our guest on almost every level imaginable through what can only be described as the quintessential bro sesh. Our typical format of half bitch, a quarter laughing at our own jokes, and a quarter of relevant training information goes straight to hell as we dive balls deep into hot button current events. Make no mistake though, Tate Fletcher has expertise, knowledge, and heart where it counts. A former pro fighter and current boss of Caveman Coffee Co., Tate stays busy running a training facility and, of course, working on his own fitness. It's obvious that his dynamic skill set has enabled him to rub elbows with professional athletes, actors, and, of course, D-list jamokes like ourselves. This is a dense one, people, but very, very worth a listen. Tate Fletcher exudes positivity, and his humor is definitely infectious. Don't take my word for it. Be an adult and hear for yourself right now. This is episode 128. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm joined with John, Luke, and Tex. And our guest today is Mr. Tate Fletcher, professional ass kicker, Stuntman, actor, fighter, motivational speaker, shit, what else? Kindergarten teacher. You know, actor slash model and not the other uh, way yeah. around. Model. Citizen. Model <laughs> citizen. I was going to say. Uh, well, the Boy Scouts of America. It, it was like when uh, Fabio was like the best model slash actor. <laughs> not the other way uh, around. Not the other way around. <laughs> was Fabio <laughs> in film or just on the cover of uh, romance novels? No, he made it into Zoolander. He had his right. own uh, workout video, oh, yeah. the, the Fabio chest workout. Well, he, he also had uh, a weird, like, hemp pea protein uh, that he was oh, selling at Whole Foods. Foods. Like, I was at Whole Foods with the kids, and um, I don't know, dude, this is kind of funny, but, like, one of my kids' favorite things to do, to do is on a Sunday we go to Whole Foods, and they get, like, the juice, and they want to, like, go look at all the food and the meat. Right. And, like, they go, and it's pretty hilarious. We get, like, dinner, and we go to, like, Whole Foods for, like, an hour, and I have no idea why they like it so much, but it's probably from all, like, the vibrant. They're always like, Dad, what's that? And, um... We were walking by and we saw like Fabio like hair blowing on the cover. I'll, 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 I think I got a picture of it. With, like on with the shirt open, it was like Fabio's protein, and I was like, "Most of that, I'm all what the fuck is this shit?" That's awesome. And uh, you know, hey, he's doing his thing. Somebody loves that him, Tony Little or whatever the gazelle. Dude, yeah. <laughs> uh, I sat next to Tony Little on an airplane. What? How how tall is he? Uh, he was wearing probably four inch stiletto Ooh. cowboy boots. Right, jeans, and he had like they were so big at the bottom, like bell bottoming, that I couldn't really see his feet. Right. And then when he took a step, I saw them, you know, the bell ring, and I realized he's wearing four inch. He was probably five, maybe four, five, six, maybe. I mean, with the shoes, maybe five, seven. There was a time uh, that women would bang him. He, dude, like, here's what I mean. Like, he was wearing wearing these crazy bell bottom jeans, 
He was wearing like a skin tight spandex blue shirt, sleeveless, and had his hair like pulled back, and then had like not like like a cloth hat where it was like the the ponytail came through the back. Right. Like I, I saw him and I was like, it's fucking Tony Little. Like you know when you see him. <laughs> For sure, he wears Under Armour to the club. Oh, <laughs> sleeveless at the airport. Sleeveless Absolutely. Under Armour. Yeah, right. factory sleeveless, which is you know. Which classic. is even weirder. That's like dress up. Nice, sleeveless. nice sit down. Yeah, yeah. like you're going to a nice sit down meal. Like, like, like <laughs> if you happen to have like a, a shirt, you just cut the sleeves off and it's kind of ratty. You're like, okay, yeah, it's a workout shirt. Yeah. But if you're rocking. Pre-bought sleeveless. It's yeah. fucking weird. Step up. You're wearing it for dress-up purposes only. <laughs> With like a suit on. It's great. That's Did like he the talk key. like he drank uh, ten cups of coffee? No, he was really weird. He uh, only like I, I think because he has kind of a squeaky voice. So like because as soon as he started talking to the lady, my head perked up, and then I think he got like a little like self-conscious because I knew it was her. <laughs> you met some of those flavorless, just lackluster dudes like that, and you were a producer of a show. You're like, well, this is the guy. This is what you got to work with. I would totally be all right. Yeah, yeah we're, gonna, we're gonna do crystal meth every time. Like I gotta get this <laughs> suited every time before we turn the camera. Now, for personality, would meth or cocaine or ecstasy? I be think the cocaine would leave them wanting more, and meth, it's got a longer half life in the body for the endorphins to rush, and so I think that would you get more meat out of it. Because after a little while, they'd get nerve, like two or three minutes, they'd get nervous for more cocaine. Mm. Yeah, see, that's why we do meth at the seminars. It's because it's a long, it's a long day. Yeah, well, yeah, or, or the caveman coffee nitro. Yeah, that's up. pretty good too. I mean, uh, do it. I uh, what was the one guy who was the the infomercial dude that actually died of the heart attack? Who was doing Slap all the guy? Oh yeah. No, but it was it was, oh, it was one of his contemporaries. Uh, yeah, uh, the guy with the beard. Vince. Yeah, yeah, it was the guy with the beard, and he uh, big oh. cocaine. And I'm like, I remember watching the infomercial and being like, that guy's but the slap chop guy, that guy. He was for sure on that. I mean, for by for sure, I mean he was arrested in Florida with Matt and a tranny hooker, oh. like for sure on that. Oh, or yeah. she just. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll tell you what, Billy Mays. Billy I, Mays. Billy I do Mays, have a slap chop though, so that I'll infomercial see. works. You that guy what? is amazing. He can he can really present a a, a marketed item. Like, yeah. he's good at that. Yeah, you, you give him like six minutes to sell something on a countdown, he will sell all of them. Yep. Yeah. Billy Mays. He'd be able to sell him. He's he's no longer with us, guys. Well, no, that's Billy Mays. The other guy, the slap chop guys, are different. Oh, I thought he was in jail. Well, no, uh, he, might he, he was saying he was caught in Florida. I mean, Florida, I would think, is one of like Pretty the capitals loose. of meth. If you get arrested for meth in Florida, that's you've got a real problem. Dude, I used to live in Tampa, <laughs> and uh, it was a shady place. Yeah. It's weird because I always thought we, we I grew up in Michigan and we go. Uh, we're, we're in Michigan. In on the shore lake here on Alpena, Michigan, and then in Lansing, I lived for a long time and. Um, we'd go. My grandma stayed in Florida, and in the, in the, she'd go down there in the wintertime because yeah, that's what all people from Michigan do. Michigan, snowbirds. But God damn, I used to think that Florida was like a nice, fancy place because I'm like everything's kind of clean, and I'm like, wow, and Michigan's like Michigan, and uh, and then you get as an adult, I went to Florida a couple places. I'm like, this is all racist hillbillies. <laughs> it's like the lowest common denominator of human. They're all in kind of the middle of Florida. Yeah, and I was going to say the middle, but when you get out to the yeah, coast. Yeah, you get to the coast. Yeah, so when, which if, is if kind of like coast, America. <laughs> it's it's true, but if, if you go to the coast, it's all the people. So, like, if you're on the east coast of Florida, you're usually from that, like, New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia. Interesting, all right. And then when you get on the west coast, all of a sudden you get like a whole different kind of Midwest kind of vibe where people kind of come down. It's pretty, but man. if you go to the center, yeah, shit gets real. Nice. All, and then they, what's the crazy thing is like it's I drove through it recently. It's all swamp. 
Yeah. Like the whole thing is swamp. And like people were tripping last year about sinkholes or whatever. I'm like, well, it's all a swamp. Like you, yeah. I mean, for sure it's not going to go well. Like that's not a, a base of construction that you're like, this will be solid for forever. Like you got to suspect there's going to be some problems. My buddy had, uh, he was building a, a, his house and he had a pretty sick pool and they have to fence in the pools with lead eyes. And I thought it was for bugs. No, it's to stop alligators. Yeah. Because they'll come up and grab your dog. Well, they'll come out, uh, they'll come in, and you'll come in, and there'll be like a big ass alligator swimming in your pool. Crazy. So, like, he was like building it, had built his lanai, and there was a big ass alligator in his pool. He came home and was like, and you call somebody, and their job is to come get the alligator out of your pool. Like, a specific service. Somebody typing? Yeah. Oops. The fuck is that? Um. Have you now? This is a stretch. There's a there's a documentary on Vimeo called Florida Man. Okay. Have you seen this? I haven't. You gotta see this site. I I forget how I fell across this, but me and a couple buddies came back uh, and watched this fucking. Oh, oh. Where is it down? Uh, Ooh, Florida for man. sale. Florida Man's for sale. Twenty six hundred dollars. Oh my god! But it was. Uh, it's was this the guy that did, uh, with the basalts? It's like oh. the guys go around at night and look at and they they basically go up and interview all these creatures that they find like just roaming Florida in the middle of the night and they get up and they interview these guys and they, they basically, um, I kind of have a crush on this guy. But this guy is like, yeah, this guy's living the dream. That's a fun But, uh, it is crazy. Uh, These people are like spinning right off the ground. What what kind of tripped me out a little bit about Florida was, um, one, like the cost of living was so cheap. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, uh, I had, uh, like my little condo in Safety Harbor was like 200 some thousand dollars, like a 225,000. I had an ocean view. And it was, like, in, like, a really nice area, like a yeah. nice condo complex, all in. And I remember, like, like in California, you couldn't even get, like, a fucking shoebox for that. Mm-hmm. So I just remember, like, people, and then they're, like, uh, but then it was, like, really nice where I lived with homes. And then next door there was a trailer park, like, literally right next door. And these people would have been, like, I think it was, like, $15,000 for your little plot. And then you can put whatever you want on it. So people had these, like, homemade structures, like shanty houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would take, I, I got, a, a, at the time, my uh, pit bull bear, I would take him out, let him run around the backyard. And, uh, dude, it was almost like dog fighting rings. I mean, there was crazy shit going on over there, like, on Saturday. Yeah, they're like, hey, John, are you in? Bring, bring your boy over. <laughs> oh, We're about to fight later. Uh, dude, and it would be, like, always like, no, on No, I lights. love that he sleeps with me. Yeah, what he's, like, my about? best friend. I don't want to kill him. <laughs> but, like, it was, like, Friday night, there'd be, like, we'd hear, like, bam, 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 clack, 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 clack. And then, like, ah, screaming. And I'm like, holy fuck, dude. I bought this nice house for, like, you know, I didn't know why it was so cheap. Sure enough, it's going to be like, yeah, so I just slept a couple nights there. And I guess it's worth, like, bringing up that I'm sure there's great people in Florida. And we've yeah. some listeners in Florida. You know, the head of science, the Scientology uh, base is in Florida, actually. Oh. That's where uh, Tater, uh, you, L. Ron uh, Hubbard came in on a ship and, well, and saved everybody. Well, his thetan came in. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. I know there's. I know that he's an expert at everything. Mm-hmm. Like, they have the annals of, like, what he's the history, done, yeah, and he's written a tremendous history about himself. Really yeah. fantastic. Well, did uh, did, did yeah. you ever read uh, Battleship Earth or any of his books? I never did. I always I would see Dianetics when I was a little kid. I remember being eight, nine years old, being like, "This answers to the world." And then and I, I had some questions as eight. And I was like, "This doesn't look good at all. This is unsafe. <laughs> this whole world, nobody's on your side. I don't, I'm scared to death. I guess we're just gonna go and bang it out and knuckle up." And and uh, and then I see Dianetics. I was like. This can't be. And then, and then I go, oh, everything is pretend on TV. Okay. 
Dude, when uh, <laughs> I, I, so so when when I first learned about Scientology, I was dating an actress, and uh, like I, I knew a little bit about it, and she talked to me a lot about it. I mean, that she wasn't in it, but it was kind of a joke within Hollywood. Right. Like you don't want to get pulled into the cult, or you do, or maybe you do, because I guess when you get pulled in, that's when all of a sudden the money starts. When you're Will this. Smith, Tom Cruise, John Travolta, <laughs> only side effect, Pride Day. But beyond that, <laughs> if you're into that, that's well, a great I'm, thing. I'm, I mean, it's gay I mean, in the good way. Do you not think that like they have the to like? Like part of like the initiation process is something gay, or you think like I feel like, like what I've heard about it, it, like seriously, what I've heard about it is that it's that you we sit in a room and they're videotaped, and we all it's like uh, what was the thing like that George Bush was in uh, when he was in Yale and and mm. the, the whatever skull, that skull and bones right that kind of thing where you go and divulge some yeah. horrific thing that you've done, and if you haven't done anything horrific enough, they go and you get after it with them over the weekend or whatever. And then, like, there's that kind of stuff where it's like, we all know horrible things about each other, so never leave. So, right? wait, you guys have had to have seen the HBO thing on I haven't seen it, man, but I've heard great things. So they, Going clear, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, and they, they say ex- that's what all of these accounts are is, uh, I forget the process. And but they're like, like, they jack people. They'll kidnap them. Like, they'll say, oh, you think it'll leave it? Okay, I'm going to take your wife. Yeah. And they kidnap them and put them, like, there's no castles in Hollywood that, that like, the... The celebrity center is in like Los Feliz or somewhere, and it's it's this huge thing. Like you couldn't get into it. It'd be like trying to break into the Ritz Carlton and find the room that your baby's in. You're like, oh, it could be anywhere. Have, have they ever approached you about pulling you never, into the fold? No, and I've never heard of anybody. I, I've known guys that have been uh, like stunt doubles to to top end guys that are there and all that, and they don't bring it up. Yeah. Like it never gets brought up outside of it. I think you have to have a really uh, intrinsic interest in yourself to go into well, it. The girl that I, uh, uh, I I used to date, she um, I think she got approached or like they got invited to this like right. deal. Like they were kind of like come uh, get your toe wet if you like it. Well, like, uh, she ended up I think uh, auditioning for some pretty big parts. Yep. And then like she didn't get the parts, and then they like came back and they were like, hey, if you come hang with us, you'll get these parts. And I think she was you know she was talking to me about it. I'm like, I'd be like, I am in. I'm like, let's fucking go. I'm like, dude, like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, what could Tom Cruise and these guys have done that was so horrific? No, 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 think about this. Like, like, I was trying to think, like, because like, we sat down and we were having drinks, and I was like, okay, what could they have done? All right, so what, like, they banged a dude or they got banged by a dude? All right, so, like, if that came out, would you really be surprised? Right. If they murdered somebody, would they really be the Hollywood celebrity? Are they going like, clear? They're talking about. Like hit squads that mm-hmm. they run, like stuff. I had a guy that was a, he was like a ex force recon marine, and then he went with privatized places for a while and all that. And he said, what turned me off from the idea of God completely was, you know, when I was out of Blackwater for a while, I worked for the Vatican. And I go, oh. and I never asked him any questions about anything, but I was like, you're, you, Kill people. That's your deal. Your deal is you're the best killer in the world. Mm-hmm. Like highly trained by the best government of killers in the world, and you work for the Vatican. Like they got guys like that that work for them. Like so, I, I I just figure like if you're any big corporation, like you're a hundred million plus, you got people that kill for you on the staff. Well, uh, for, first of all, the Vatican. I think if they were to rank in corporations, yeah, uh, would be one of the richest in the, the world. largest in the world, largest yeah. landowners in the one, world. One of the largest Catholic landowners. Uh, the one that struck me most about the Vatican. Who they own their banks? Well, I'm I, I'm Catholic, right? Uh-huh. So here here was the or I, I I was raised Catholic. 
So we go to uh, the Vatican. I was going to say, that's ridiculous as a grown man, John, but go ahead. <laughs> so I, I, I'm saying I was raised Catholic. So uh, we go to the Vatican, and, like, there are these people, or there, there are these people that are out there, I guess they're, like, nuns or different people that are out there, like, panhandling, basically right. asking for donations, and then they charge you to go in and see this stuff. And as they're walking through, they show this, like, wooden gold staircase that's, like, huge that these monks basically carved in a monastery for, like, a thousand years. And the Vatican decided they wanted it. They just went and took it. And, like, I'm walking through and I'm looking just at all these priceless fucking artifacts. And I'm thinking to myself, like, the only thing I could think is it's easier for the camel to get through an eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. And I'm, like, imagining, like, they're panhandling out money in here. There's, like, billion dollars worth of artifacts and money and all this. You're looking and, at the actual stairway to heaven. Well, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm looking <laughs> at this shit and I'm thinking to myself, like, the collection plate comes around all this. And I'm like, what kind of fucking hypocrisy are these people that, like, they have all of this wealth awesome. and they're asking... That's not what the question is. The question isn't the hypocrisy of those people. That's the greatest trick ever. How dumb are all these people? Well, I know. That's yeah. the great question. Dude, That's I, the real question. I saw, I, I saw a dude that had a deal. He goes, anytime you're feeling a little down, remember there's people somewhere that believe that penguins walked from Antarctica to get on an ark. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. right, like, like, like that was one that of all like, the animals of the world got on a 400-foot boat. Yeah. They didn't eat each other. Yeah, everything was cool. Two by two. So two good, two, dude. Man, All that man. stuff. I mean, I talk about, like, whatever. Scientology is no crazier, maybe less crazy than Christianity. That's just more accepted. Yeah. I mean, it's all to me, it's all the same shit. It's like Thor came about because we're like, it got thunder outside, and I was like, don't be scared. That's Thor up there. He's just cracking his hammer, and then made some noise. Don't worry about it. And yeah. then your seven-year-old goes back to sleep and goes, oh, okay, it's just Thor. He's going to be cool to us as long as we sacrifice chicken in the morning or mm -hmm. whatever the deal is. And that seems, like, uh, archaic to us. But is it more archaic? Like, I, I remember the first time I'm like, you're – so this whole thing, because I had to go to Catholic school for a couple years because our schools closed down because it was such a rich community that we lived in that they're like, we're not going to pay the extra 12 cents for busing, so no more public school this year, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but you look at it like that, and I go, so this is – they're like, yes, yeah, the Holy Sacrament. And it, Jesus, this is actually this wafer turns into Jesus is yeah, what happens. The body of Christ. I'm like, first of all, that's a whole lot of Jesus. And people are eating this all over the world right now. Well, like, how any, big was Jesus? Any bread could be blessed into Jesus' body. Also, you are now a fucking cannibal. You disgusting <laughs> animal. If you are a Christian that has taken the Eucharist, there, that's a little. You gotta say that's a little weird. Right. You can't laugh at pagans. Well, so if that's so your deal. Here was one that tripped me out. I remember uh, sitting in Sunday school and they were talking about the Bible. Uh huh. And they were talking about like the different books and Mark and all these different Bibles uh, versions and a lot of like you know the letter to so and so and all these things. A lot of the people that were actually writing the different uh, you know gospels and different books were written. Hundreds of years. Written over after, thousands of years out of it. After. Out of 150 Gospels, they picked Big. four. Mary Magdalene, the closest yeah. one to Jesus, omit that one. Well, they had... Uh, Throw in uh, Christians it, it to was, lions, and then the, the next year going, this is great for population control. Let's adopt it as the Roman culture. It was uh, the Council of Messiah you know, came together, right. and it was like whatever, in like two or 300 B, uh, AD, and they decided which books. But I remember going through and like them talking about you know these books had been written, and I remember thinking to myself... Does that mean if I were to write a book about George Washington, like, could I actually tell? I mean, it's basically all accounting right. and, and kind of folklore. So it kind of tripped me out a little bit that, like, 
here are these people that are writing these accounts. And you know what? Like, I firmly believe there was a great man named Jesus Christ that lived. Of course. I think that, that's a historical and, fact, and, right? Yeah. And, uh, Too you many know, accounts and, from all over. And, and like, why is it that, like, there was a, a great man who taught people, you know, that this, you know, all these things and helped people become better and talk about all these things. Why did they have to, like, switch it over and make him this deity, this it's son of Christ? Because it was, yeah, a, it was a way to, like, opium. I mean, yeah. you know, as they said, man, religion is the opium of the people. What, how do I get? It's just, like, why do we have CNN? And Fox News doing what it does is like because fear controls people. Yeah, it's the same argument that uh, like Rogan and I got it, talking, and, and he's like, he's like, look at Colorado, they're taxing pot and they're making all this money on it. And I go, nobody wants fucking drugs legal. I said that's the smartest thing ever. I wrote my high school paper on it. Yeah. Smartest oh, yeah. thing ever. No way, Easy E should have a Uzi. He shouldn't be able to afford one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But a black market, like I know growing up, a black market is a great thing if you don't have much other job skills and you're willing to risk it. Like, mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that funds that shit. And so if you really wanted no crime, you want people to rise up, you really wanted a solution to drug addiction problems, you would study it, everything would be free and legal, and it would be like, whatever, have hair on if you want, crystal, yep. do whatever you want. We know it's bad to drink battery acid too. A lot of people don't do it, conversely. Just because it's legal doesn't mean people are going to guzzle antifreeze. And so, the, you know, that's an educational thing, but the money, I mean, you know, a bunch of guys that are in that business, whether it's the DEA, whether it's your local sheriff department and the millions of dollars that every local sheriff department everywhere in the country gets to fight this evil of well, drugs. So, my- so it's easier if you're just smoking pot and I just tax you, that's one thing. But if I can tax all of us, cause we're all scared and we're like, we need to keep this machine going, get all the police. Like that's, that's trillions of dollars. You can't tax drugs enough to meet what they're already making on it being illegal so my dad uh i've talked about my dad my dad's a pretty interesting dude he grew up here he was born in kansas moved out here when he's a little kid so my right. dad was born in 37 um he graduated high school at like 16 graduated college at like 19 and then he graduated from law school and uh actually was a probation officer and a da back in like the early 60s Crazy. and it, he's basically lived in la my parents have lived in the same place for 50 years my dad's been a practicing attorney for over 50 years and um he tells me that uh, L.A. was a pretty nice place, and he can remember down to the day that crack cocaine hit the street. Oh, yeah. He goes, literally, he goes, L.A. was a pretty nice place. You know, you had some stuff. Like, he knew Mookie Williams. And what was that, like, 81, 82, uh, Yeah, yeah, it was in the early 80s yeah. kind of deal. And he remembered, uh, he goes, you know, L.A. was a pretty nice place in the 60s. You know, you had the kind of the hippie deal, you know, some violence. You know, they had, like, some, like, petty drug stuff. And then all of a sudden, Richard Nixon comes in and declares the war on drugs. And then shortly after, crack cocaine hit the streets. And he goes, it was as if like somebody like turned LA because it was like the movies where all of a sudden like a black cloud came over and right. people just started like gun violence. He goes, he goes literally, I remember it down to the day. And I asked him, I was like, what do you think? He goes, uh, the only thing you can do is legalize this stuff. And he goes, we effectively have lost the war on drugs. And he goes, what you have to do is you have to legalize it. You have to let people make their own decisions in this world. If that, you want the health of the community. Yeah. He, he, he right. goes, he goes, if you want to destroy your community and you want to have all this bullshit, he goes, you continue to do it. But he goes, all it does is it keeps, and you know, my, my dad has been practicing attorney. He still works six, seven days a week. Yeah. And he's like, honestly, he goes, all, all it does is give us more opportunity to work as lawyers. And he goes, uh, there's yeah, no way you can now. solve this problem. Right. He, he goes, it, it's a cultural problem where, you know, people are fine to go to the drug. He goes, you know, because he goes, you, um, the way that our culture works is based on a set of white Christian Anglo or white Christian Anglo Saxon also, right? You're not supposed to have too much fun. Well, well no, no, but think about it. it. It is, right? So I don't fuck up or I don't break the law exactly. because I don't want to go to jail, which is this bad place where you take away my freedom. 
So then it's like, okay, so we don't break, you know, we don't hopefully go do these things that will get us put in this bad place. But then what if you run into people that jail is actually a better situation than they're presently totally. in? So then they're like, well, fuck it. Uh, if I, I do something, I either make money. If I go to jail, who cares? Because it's a better situation than I'm in. Yeah. And he goes, effectively, the system is fucking broken. And the only way you fix it is to basically, like, legalize this shit and put education and try to help people. Yeah. And he goes, you know, he, he goes, because what, what are you going to do? He goes, it's like losing every football game 99 to 100 or uh, uh, 100 to zero. He goes, we lose the war every year. And you know what? Like, like Colorado and those guys, if people want to smoke weed, let them smoke weed. But the thing is, is they're not losing the war. That's all predicated on the idea that you want a healthy community. But power structures don't stay in power in healthy communities. They stay if there's turmoil. Well, they stay with so fear. If, I mean, if, if you, like, what is successful, well, for the people in power, what's successful is to have it illegal because we want broken communities. We want poor people. But the illusion of success crime. is we, to clear it yeah. out. See, what's, what's so weird for And me then I get is, to sit on a high horse and say, is, I'm, is, I'm for, you know, but you're not. It, it doesn't make sense legalize. to me that, like, you know, you have people that, uh, you know, what they want in this world is this turmoil, these problems and this desolation and, like, all of this kind of fucking nightmare to, like, go on. It seems, I mean, it seems counterproductive to me sure. towards a, a short life, but it's fucking, it's unfortunate. It's also predicated on racism in a huge way, I think, which is more of a poverty thing, like, a than anything. But, like, even in the 80s, what they did, and it wasn't until the late 80s, probably, maybe even early 90s, where they made uh, crack cocaine. Um, like, if you had an ounce of crack and you had an ounce of powder, you're going to do life you're going to do six months. Yeah. And it's like, and that is a black and white issue, man. That's a ghetto issue mm-hmm. and, and a suburb issue. And anybody saying that there's not institutionalized racism isn't looking at numbers, man. Cause if you're three out of five black guys between 15 and 60, you've already been in prison. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so either you're saying substantively black people are different and more predetermined to their, their brains are such for crime or for, whatever and don't really want happiness or oneness or unity which is fucking racist or it's set up in a way where i'm going to give you such horrible positions in life there's not going to be much choice well the um the other one is is uh if you look at the way this country is divided in terms of like just percentages of populations sure uh if you were to turn on tv and drive around or if you were like involved in anything what would you guess the percentage of like white, black, and Hispanics in this country are? If you were just to watch television? If you were to watch TV? Yeah, it's mostly white, right? No. I mean, most of the TV shows, I mean, are, you know, like whether it be entertainment, sports, whatever, usually black entertainers, black music, I mean, sports figures. Like if you look at this stuff, you would think a large section. It's, like, thir- way, it's like 13% of this country. Yeah, but not really. I mean, if you've got over 50%, or I think it's something like that, of Hispanic people in America, something like that right now. Yeah. It is, it no. Is, no, it's it's no. This kind of, this country is, is over seventy percent white. It's in California, I think. Yeah, is that, is that what this, it is? this country. I, I think it's like if we look it up. I at think any it's rate, like, if you look it, at it's like thirteen percent is black, like eleven to twelve percent might be Hispanic, and I think the rest is like seventy percent white. Really? Or if you can look it up, you got to remember like what's representative or uh, in terms of media outlets like California and right. all that is not representative of this country. I mean, the majority. Like once you get away from right. the coast, right. I mean, you can kind of look at it, but look at it. What is it? Uh, still looking for a normalized percentage. Well, look, look at that. Uh, 2.9 million, almost 3 million to 4.8. Number of births in 2013. God, slow down, white people. <laughs> so white is 3 call it 3 million, black is 600,000, Asian is 200, 
and 50, so there's 000. more Hispanics and Hispanic just throws that wide net. They're like everybody, yep. Guatemalan, Mexican, right. mm -hmm. just in California. That's yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So percentage of the population, I mean, you can take a look and I mean, it's pretty amazing. So like, I, I, would I mean, say it, if it you always watch TV. It looks white. All you, the criminals are of color because that's how it's presented. And because if you look at the top tier, like well, whatever actors business. there are, who is, who is it? Who are the guys that are, uh, you got Denzel, you got the rock, who else that has any color on them that you know their name? Like that. Yeah, many guys. But, the, but the Rock is like an Islander, which is like sure, as, as as my Samoan and white friends so you got say Jimmy that Smith, like they're like the other maybe, if, Like I got guys that are Mexican dudes that are actors, and they're like, I'm not getting the lead anyway. There's yeah. no chance. And he, there's just it's like the it's it's weird. It's a trip, you know. Yeah, but it's Hollywood. I, I mean, Hollywood perpetuates what Hollywood wants. But also, Hollywood is what Middle America wants. I remember seeing this hot black girl walk up at the comedy store one time and she was smoking man and uh and and i was with joe and and he goes hey what's going on da -da? and big hugs and hellos and uh and and i was like oh who's that and he's like whatever i don't know what her name was she was on uh news radio or talk radio or whatever that tv show was he did back in like 98 i think mm -hmm. somewhere in there and um and he says and i said god she's fucking pretty and he says, yeah, she, she we had a, a whole makeout scene that we did. We filmed, we had this um, thing. And, and he says, it was badass. And, and uh, I was like, I was like, right. He says, yeah, but they never aired it. And I go, why not? They go, because they showed it to a, a group, a test group. And they go, America's not ready for interracial kissing on TV. Do you know what the first so interracial kiss on TV that was? was? in the late 90s. Do you know what the first interracial kiss on TV was? Lucille Ball. No. And Desi Arnaz. No. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. The first black white kiss. Star Trek, Captain Kirk, and a and uh, 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 Aru, uh, the or a green bitch. No, no, no. <laughs> it was the black chick, uh, Aru, uh, Aru. I don't know, Aru. man. That's oh, Cali. Ohora. Oh, yeah, Ohora. They had a kiss. And that and that that was like this huge oh. thing with like Star Trek. How badass like, is he? He banged purple girls, pink, like Dude, everything. How many bronzes he, he was just like? laying it down. I was like, I'm more like Captain Kirk than I am like these hillbillies. Like, this is all right. Who cares? She's got a tail. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that TV, that was great. And then Leather Tuscadero. That was a go-to show to jerk off when I was a kid. Happy days. If you could get Pinky or Leather Tuscadero on there, I'd be like, ooh, there's an image. You're in a now you guys got the goddamn internet. I don't even know what I would look at. I would be. You would hey, see how, how old are you? 42 okay all right so we're i'm 39 so you're about so age my brother yeah. so like you, you know we, we existed in a time where like you came home and like the only thing you had on tv was like chips or bonanza that was like our only <laughs> channel company. company you could get three's company and there was one girl that wasn't hot but there was one that was yeah well, there was the chip. the brunette was what chrissy but they had two different blonde ones yeah yeah well the, the dark haired one good. i never thought was hot but even as a little kid like i'm i've just been horny forever six seven years old gilligan's island i'm like some days i'm feeling like ginger some days i'm feeling like marianne you know what i mean oh god they could babysit me so that's what got you into sunday thing the fall guy and then the fall guy that girl with the tight jeans was uh, who was that heather, thomas. heather lockler heather thomas. heather thomas all hotties that i just named old school all hotties dude uh uh that uh that tv show made me want to get a chevy pickup is that right and that's why i have a chevy square body was because of that tv show that's dope yeah. and then they had the who had the power wagon simon and simon oh yeah yeah that's yeah. right they did a power wagon yeah they made that famous yeah 
yeah, the Chevy square body. Ever since then, I see him now. I'm like, oh my god, it's a small guy square body. I want to build that. So how did how did Power Athlete come from? It came out of CrossFit football, or vice versa, or no? What? It uh, so what happened uh, when I retired? CrossFit hit me up about starting uh, kind of a strength, kind of power version of CrossFit. Now how did they, how are you on their radar? Um, I was actually training at a little CrossFit gym over here. So I lived here in Newport Beach, and I was driving every day to Carson, which is at the Home Depot Center yeah. of stuff up where athletes' performance was. So, uh, you know, to, as you know, you just drove from L.A. Right. Doing this drive up to Carson every day. Yeah. Fucking uh, just that fried thing. me. Yeah. And so I, uh, so I got on the Internet, and I Googled and, like, was, like, put in Olympic weightlifting. And there was a little – there was a place in South County that was, like, a gym, uh, like, athletes first. And then there was – a little CrossFit jump, literally right over here, like two blocks from here. So I drove up there and I went and checked out and like they had bumpers and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this place is pretty cool. And it was a CrossFit gym. So I hit up one of my buddies who I knew was involved in CrossFit. I was like, hey, up this CrossFit thing. And he talked to me a little bit about it. And, um, he said, as he was telling me about it, it sounded really stupid. Right. So I started making fun of him. And, uh, he, and he like, says, come try one. Let's do double Fran, asshole. So what he says to me is he goes, Hey, you know you what? Big he, son of a bitch. He goes, you should go to one of their seminars. And I was like, fuck it, I'll go to their seminar. So we were sitting there and he's like, you should sign up. So I was like, fuck it. I signed up and it's like a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's a thousand bucks. So I signed up more. and this was like, fuck, dude, this is a while. And like all of a sudden, and then I went back to um, uh, play in Kansas City. And all of a sudden, like the season ends, I'm coming home and I signed up for one in February. And all of a sudden, I see this reminder that I got this CrossFit seminar. Right. And I was like, fuck, I didn't want to go, but I'd already spent a thousand dollars and I was kind of cheap. Yeah, like it's a thousand bucks. I'm like, it's a thousand bucks. Fuck yep. it. So I drive up and we go to the CrossFit seminar. So I'd never done a CrossFit workout, didn't know anything about it, show up at the level one, did the level one, came home and actually went and started training at the little CrossFit gym uh, to go back and play. And then, uh, so I, I just hit him up, was training there, was playing for football, getting ready to go back uh, to play for the Patriots, or just getting ready to go back. And uh, they, about three weeks out, hit me up. Uh, this was like in June. They just all of a sudden I got a you know CrossFit hit up the guy. The place I was training was like, hey, would he be interested in competing in the CrossFit Games? And I didn't know what the CrossFit Games was, so I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. Cool. So they sent out a camera crew and we filmed a movie for it. And then I went and competed in the games. And then six days after the games, I went to go play for the Patriots. Right. And then uh, I got hurt in the last preseason game, came home, and then that's when they hit me up about doing CrossFit football. Is that crazy? So, and I remember thinking like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give that a shot. And so we launched a website like three weeks later and then like got a bunch of hits and kind of started the deal. Yeah. And then um, I, the first day we launched, we got 17,000 hits in like 120 countries. Right. And uh, I got like 400 emails from people about like, right. how do you do this? All this information. And I started answering every single one. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. When you start, when people start emailing you, like, uh, I don't know. I just think if you're a good human, you, there's probably guys that ignore it, but like what, when that started happening, like strangers would even, I, I go, okay, I've got a risk. No, I can't go to dinner tonight. I've got a responsibility to these guys. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You really feel like shit. They're invested enough that they've sent me an email. Cause I don't like to pick up my socks. Like they really did something here. And like, I would take that like yeah. always. Yeah. So I respond to all these emails. And then after like three days of doing nothing, responding to emails, I was like, fuck, I gotta like, uh, I gotta find something better. I need help or a form letter. So some so somebody was like, "Well, why don't you just start a blog?" And I was yeah. like, "That's what you need." And uh, my favorite movie is a Rambo: First Blood. Uh -huh. So you remember when the line when Trotman's like, "You know, company leader Raven, talk to me, Johnny." So we named it "Talk to Me, Johnny." 
Right. And I just started th- just going through and just answering every single question yep. and just posting them up for people. And then really, uh, I got an interesting question. Some guy asked, uh, what would CrossFit football look like without the CrossFit? Mm-hmm. And I wrote this thing called the Power Athlete Template. And it was really like what my training had looked like and kind of how it all kind of had morphed. And then I got all these people that were like, can you design programming based off of that? Not now that is beautiful. Just in that idea itself. And that like when you create community, which is like what a podcast is or what CrossFit is or like, you know, and so then Glassman creates CrossFit and then he doesn't go, this needs to be the second. He's like, yeah, please, this guy too, this guy too. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, and, and he makes everybody like, like little generals in, in this thing, in this idea. And then you do this podcast and then that invokes this question about like, what would this, and then that becomes this blossoms into this whole, and without that community, none of that happens because there's no question, you well, know? And, and then uh, like we were doing it and then Luke came on and we launched the Power Athlete site and it was just kind of an information resource. And then we just kind of slowly added stuff and then it became programming and right. podcasts. And we just started adding more stuff as things became needed. I, I mean, I was one of the, when, this when he first launched, I was one of those seventeen thousand people. Like I was all over. Okay, it. that's what I was gonna say. It's like, who were you before yeah. that? So I, I grew up playing football, uh-huh. and then I found this CrossFit deal through a friend who basically was like, you know, that that experience that you had shouted out, like, come fucking try it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I had moved to endurance sports, like try. I was doing triathlons because right. I thought that's where you, right? You know, that was something to train for. But um, went through and just did what I would call kind of like the black box CrossFit for a couple of years, which is just, you know, what someone just does and interprets from their level one. And right. it kind of set, it, I didn't realize it, but it set me back. And then I remember seeing the site launch and the tagline was. It set you back physically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It did from what I wanted out yep. of my training. Yep. I, and I did a little bit of aesthetics and it wasn't until I jumped back on CrossFit football where the tagline was forging powerful athletes. Yep. And even on the comments, it was like. I'm a power athlete. And it was just like, it was always there in the DNA from the start of it. And uh, when I started doing all these, uh, all this training on the CrossFit football site, I realized how I wasn't nearly as strong as I used to be when I was 16. Interesting. And I'm fucking, you know, at that time, what were we, 2007? So that's, that's not good to think my 16 year old. Yeah, I'm like 25 years old. Right now, like that's so old. I'm 25 years old, which is what we talked about earlier. Now I'm old enough to own up to my own mistakes. Right. And I'm just like, shit, I need to fucking, I need to be lifting heavy weights, you know? And uh, and then I gravitated towards that site from what we've learned so much, or like, or what I've learned. Uh, from either people on the podcast, through genetic testing, through a lot of these guys who are talking, uh, Stu McGill and how your spine develops as you're in a youth. Like certain people gravitate towards certain sports because they are built that way. And uh, and because you get success at it. Yeah. You're like, oh, I kind of coordinated this way. And yeah, I'm not yeah. coordinated at baseball at all. So this is, yeah, and then you get better at it because that instills success. Mm-hmm. And then that mimics the dopamine in your mind that, when you get success and it goes on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was just like a compounding effect where uh, the training put me in a better place to succeed universally, uh, whether it was at what I used to be doing uh, in the CrossFit gym, because I was a CrossFit coach slash corporate guy. And, um, what and I would slash corporate guy. Well, I, I would moonlight as a coach, you know, right. 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. coach and then 6 a.m. coach. And then I would go to my real job um, and sell truck parts. Yep. Uh, so, um, but it was just like when I would jump back in with our clients and our, our classes, I would be, I would be fucking dominating them in right. these workouts that weren't getting me to where I wanted so to I be. I think it's so important in that whole conversation. Like I hear a lot of guys, especially like coming from a, a fight background and there's all these guys, you know, like, um, 
trying to burp you out of my triangle or whatever, some stupid shit like mm-hmm. that they think is cute. But it's like, it's like the bummer for me is because as, as an athlete in that way, it's like, I always knew if we're both equal skill and I'm stronger than you, or I have more endurance than you. I'm that puts you with that yeah, ass. Yeah, even, you if you have, even if you have a little better technical skill, but you don't have the, mm-hmm. the endurance I have, I'm raping you. There's and no Kate, chance you can Kate, uh, can, um, can you give us a little background on like uh, like a, like you as a fighter? You're like an MMA guy. You're a yeah. I, I uh, was fighter, that kind like... of uh, I I got into it. I guess in like '99 maybe is the first time I had an opportunity to um, start training in a combat sport in a um, formal way. And I met a guy named Arlen Sanford, and Arlen is a founding member of a group called the Dog Brothers that exists. Here they used to be in Hermosa Beach, and we would go fight in a park on the equinoxes uh, on the summer and uh, fall solstice, and um, and there'd be like fifteen to twenty guys or something. They would come with their sticks. There's guys that would come from Iceland, from New York, from everywhere, and there was only like fifteen or twenty of them. But there'd be like three hundred people in lawn chairs that would that would circle up the park. Right. What park is this? It was in Hermosa Beach. I'm not sure which one it, it yeah, was. Yeah, I, I grew up in Palos Verdes. Okay. So yeah, I know the area. And so, Arlen had it, it founded kind of as a thing. They were like international stick fighters. They came from like Krabi Cabrong is where Arlen came from, which is a dual stick. Uh, it's like the outset of it's a Muay Thai with weapons. So it's like a, when you talk about distance of combat, you know, we're talking about either. Uh, weapons with trajectory like a bow or a spear or a rifle or whatever and then if you're talking about uh hand-to-hand combat the first thing would be a spear or sticks some kind of weapons that i can swing uh your feet your hands your elbows your knees and then we're grappling and so there's all these different spatial relations with combat right and you know i mean which is like to put it in perspective that if that's confusing all is like why it's like what made george st pierre great he wasn't awesome at anything and he's kind of an awesome wrestler actually but like but he would marry those distances together beautifully between striking and grappling. It was like, if one guy's really great at this and he's also really great at this, it doesn't really matter if they can't marry them together. So I think in combat, it's like where you can flawlessly travel um, distance and own every aspect of the way. And the guy that does that, he owns the pace and that's the guy that wins generally. Um, so I, my, my outset was with stick fights and Arlen and Eric Knaus, um he, they did an international stick fighting competition and they uh, weren't satisfied because they were heavily padded. And so they said, you know, they, they'd become like karate point sparring where it's just like touching. And, and like, they're like, I don't know that when you came across the backhand that I'd have been able to come in like I did if I didn't have this helmet on. Said, so would you like to come? I live in Long Beach and maybe we'll fight for the rest of the weekend. And I've got, um, I've been playing with the idea of fencing masks just to keep our eyes from getting cut. And then the rest of your head and face is all open and, and we'll use batting gloves. And so they went and they fought each other 30 times or whatever the next couple of days. And then Arlen went back to Santa Fe. And also there's all this stuff like, you know, like old Kung Fu would say like, well, I would be in the UFC, but I, I would kill people. I, I, my sport, like the Krav Maga guys, are yeah. I'm, I would kill people. Oh, oh of course you would. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell that to your little brother and you can keep dominating him as long as you don't ever want to really try and uh and so like there's there's that aspect to it and they're like we want to know like are you really going to die if you get smashed with a stick no it turns out you can break your finger or you get knocked out or something like that but nobody dies so um that was one thing they found out so then a small group started coming together other guys that got interested 
Arlen got me interested because I was uh, just a big dude. And he's like, uh, this is a guy I want. It's not, it's not easy to get training partners. It's not like, Hey, you want to go throw the football? It's, yeah. you know, you, you gotta be willing to get smashed with a stick. Like it's like, it's a <laughs> thing, you know? And so that's where I started. And then I found like distance. I learned a lot about that and, and crashing. And if you crash into a guy, cause you don't, it gets too hot on your feet. Like you're now you're on the ground. And if you're on the ground and you don't know what to do and somebody does know what to do, you might as well be in the ocean with your hands tied. Like mm-hmm. you don't know how to swim that way. And so guys that knew a little bit of jujitsu uh, had a huge advantage. And so I started training jujitsu and then it just went from there. And then I fell in love with jujitsu. I kind of, uh, I probably had, I don't know, three or 500 stick fights, like a lot of stick fights. And, um, but the first thing I attack is your hands. It's holding the weapon and it's the thing closest to me. And so uh, your knuckles would swell. And so maybe you couldn't grab and I was, Train a lot of gi jiu-jitsu and so I, it would really um put a hindrance on my usage of my hands and and i was in tournaments all the time and so i, I would compete regularly and so I, I moved away from stick fighting i went fully into jiu-jitsu um by the time uh i was a purple belt I'd, i don't know i like again hundreds of competitions um meddled in and all like i'd go to the worlds i'd go to the pan ams and meddled in all those and uh and um not the world's the pan ams uh for well maybe the world's too as a pro but i think i got a bra i I did i I medal in the open and in my weight uh one year but like that was uh uh a huge thing about competition i'd never been in organized competition so and then came the idea that you could do um full contact fights and like we're watching pride we're watching old school ufc at that time and this is like probably maybe 2002 or three or something like that and um you know, I, I trained a lot with like Amal Easton and uh, Elliot up in uh, Colorado is kind of my guys. And then Greg Jackson and Mr. Winklejohn. And, um, you know, it was really where my kickboxing came from. And uh, and so I just started, th- th- those became kind of my camps and those became kind of my brothers in that way. And, and uh, trained with guys up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, and we just kind of, we just kind of went from there and then like, as soon as the fighting started and that became a thing like king of the king smaller regional shows started coming around and so we started fighting those and there's like you know like you know joy villa senor keith jardine diego sanchez uh, myself carlos condit we all kind of started about the same time and um and we all just took off with it and loved it and it's like um that that was the outset of uh mma in new mexico and so then i moved and and uh fought in a few competitions out here, I moved. I, I got. I uh, picked up work after one of my fights uh, on a movie on the Longest Yard, and then that shot out here, and that brought me to California. And um, dude, one of my uh, uh, closest friends was in that movie. Yeah, Bob Sapp. Yeah, yeah. So Bob, I yeah. beat up a couple times. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he's a funny, in the movie or in real life? No, like I, I, I just I grabbed. He was talking a bunch of shit, so I grabbed a single on him and I put him down. I'm like. I said, I saw your last fight in Pride, bro. I said, we're at, we're at, we're, 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 we're in Santa Fe, right? And I'd had, I was like three and all at that time in MMA, and, and my jujitsu was fucking, uh, I'd kill you, but like he was, uh, and, and then he's a big football player, or whatever, and and the nicest guy, the best, yeah, one the of my favorite dude. people on the world, like, like he's a guy that you could sit in a room with forever, yeah. and just he just reeks of happiness, yeah. and, and like that is, he's one of the most lovable guys I ever met. Uh, and he's like, oh, because he's big, he's big as anything. Yeah. He's 400 pounds. I mean, he, yeah. and Jack, with Jack abs, Jack. like, 
you know, he's got a doctor's bag that he carries with him, which God knows what's in that. Yeah, no, <laughs> it looks heavy to carry. You don't want to ask. And, and uh, he's huge. And um, one of the best facial actors I ever saw, like, yeah. from, I think, yeah. wrestling. I like, he did, he's awesome. And, uh, but I grabbed the single and I put him down. I was like, you were breathless at sea level in Japan, dude. Up here, you'll have a heart attack before you get up here. <laughs> he just starts laughing. But we got to train a bunch. And then Maurice Smith and Ivan Salaberry were training with them. And then Ivan's like, gotta go peep Eddie Bravo's joint. We go down there and roll sometimes. And so then I went into the bomb squad. Eddie had just opened 10th Planet. And then I fell in love with Eddie's style of jiu-jitsu. And, and uh, I became one of his guys on that day. And, and uh and then it kind of went from there. I fought the WC a little from there. And then uh, Hawaii a couple times, Ultimate Fighter. Um, and and uh, that's kind of my background with the sports. I, I've got a gym. I've got a 10th Planet School in Santa Fe uh, that Ruben Rivera and uh, Nate Harris run. And um, and they're killing it. Ruben might go into Metamoris, which is a one of the bigger uh, no-gi jiu-jitsu tournaments right now. But um, And, and it's, it's a trip, too, like the, getting, like, you know, like I learned from those guys. It's like, I always thought like the best way is, is to give everything away. And, uh, you know, I, I learned about like the, there's a saying, uh, a high tide rises all ships kind of thing. But, and I saw this fucking hippie with a bumper sticker that said when, um, when everybody does better, everybody does better. And which is a kind of a hippie thing to say, which I've really adopted and I love and I fight tooth and nail for it because the deal is, is for me, what I learned in the, in the rooms of jiu-jitsu and in, in fight camps is that, you know, if, if I'm killing you with the same triangle every time and I'm like, I'm never going to show you because my ego is so fucked up that I have to keep that secret. I, uh, you never get better very, very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and never get but, you better. But that's the trip is like, I didn't know that, that that doesn't get me better either. And I'm like, I need you to know everything. So here's my setup. I don't ever want to catch you here again. And if you do, I'm going to squeeze you out, but like, like this. And so, that also speaks to me having to learn another way then. And so then I'm constantly in the learning and I'm in this beautiful uh, kind of euphoria of, of uh, unlimited resources. Whereas the other place has like a glass ceiling on it, I think in a way. And, um, and I see a lot of jiu-jitsu schools that run on that glass ceiling. And, and like when I got to 10th Planet and I started looking at that and, I, and it, it's really became so clear that I need my students. I need everybody to know everything that I know. Otherwise, I'm not going to grow at the highest rate possible. And then that's what I want. So it's an entitled self-interest. Sure. Like it's an entitled altruism or self-interested altruism, maybe mm -hmm. you could say. And so I started looking at that and I started that, that started to bleed everywhere into my life. It's like, I want your business to do great. I want you and your relationship to do great. I want everybody. I want successes all around me and I want us all to win. And like, and so that, like, that, that's kind of like people talk about different motivations for fighting and what all that looked like. And it certainly wasn't about money when we started. There's a great poster of uh, me and Jardine, Diego Sanchez and Carlos Condit on it. The four corners of this big poster, which we all maybe made two grand that night if we put our purses together. <laughs> like it was it's not money. You know, people are there trying to find an expression of themselves and their athleticism and what they work for. And I wonder who I am under these conditions. And. And so I, I've always thought to put myself in, 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 in scary, awkward, um, trying positions, do something hard every day, do something you're uncomfortable with, put your ego at risk. And that whole thing of jujitsu really trained me that. It's like the more you put your ego at risk, the better everything gets. And then and the more happiness comes to you. You know, the unhappiest guys are trying to hang on to something. So it really became a part of my journey. Like, in, in, uh, you know, like I've had a really colorful history up until then. But when I started doing that, I go, how do I optimize happiness? How do I optimize my community to be a, a better, more enriched place? 
Um, how do I, how do I live in a place of empowerment instead of feeling like uh, the government's just fucked and you don't have any choices and people are mean and you're always going to be kept down. It's like, that was my story for a long time. And I just don't believe that that's true. And, and, and um, so like anytime I get a opportunity to talk about it or push that forward, like I really believe that is the truth. And it's just, you know, I think, you know, this country will need a revolution and in some way, and it's not going to be with bullets. You know, I think it needs a spiritual consciousness revolution in a way where people are like, no, I'm not willing to shop at Walmart. I don't care. I'll pay a dollar more somewhere mm -hmm. else because this actually robs my community and it erodes it like a cancer. And, and uh, even the people that work there, you'd say it gives jobs. It doesn't. Those people are in horrific conditions. They don't give, you know, like, and I don't want to bag on Walmart, but like all corporate endeavors are kind of that way. And so what do I do if, if I'm making dollars and I'm putting them back in, where am I putting them? And I, I want to do it consciously. And so I'll drive the extra mile to go see the farmer to buy my steaks from or like, I'll go like, I, I don't want to go to an Applebee's. I want to go to a little startup that somebody's trying to make happen. Like, and so, you know, and it's weird like to talk about that at coming out of fighting, but it's like, you know, fighting taught me everything really in, in a way about being a man and about like um, accountability and about respect and about dignity. And, and, and it gave me a real sense of pride. It was maybe the first time, like when I was a competitor in jujitsu, I remember the first time when I got a shirt and it was like a, maybe a Munjal shirt or something said competitor on the back and i was like i was so fucking proud man like it because it, it's like because i was a scumbag you know i'm a criminal and and like i'm like and i was like this is something man and i've worked for this and it's like even even i remember when i went when, like um i got sick and i didn't train very well and i won this tournament anyway and i was like i felt horrible about it because i i'd, I'd had enough pride in me to go you didn't earn it you didn't suffer for this and i i think it's important to suffer in life man because I and, and it's weird to say it's like it's one of these paradoxes. I think that's where the sweetness of life is, mm -hmm. is in that struggle. It's in that suffering. And I think that's what you find in like, you know, in, in gyms like this, too, is like, you know, what, you know, there's a girl over deadlifting the other day and she pulls 135 and it's like, it's like quaking. It's all of it to get it up for her, you know, and there's like 10 and like every everybody is stoked. Mm -hmm. And she's, and afterwards she's really self-deprecating. He's like, well, that's nothing. You know, you guys do pull whatever. And, and uh, I go, it's the struggle, man. You didn't quit in the fight. Like that's, and that's what like people are like, oh, what's CrossFit about? Or what's this about? What's that? Like the thing is, is like we put ourselves in situations where it's like failure is there. You know, everybody wants to talk all this failure is not an option or I'm a self-made man or we're fucking lies. You're telling yourself fucking lies. It's some weak shit. It's like failure is there. The great thing is when people push past that, man, when they push past their own ideas of quit, when they erase can't from their mind, like those are the things that like fire motherfuckers up. And that's where that revolution is. It's a, it's an internal job first off, you know? And so I, I look at it like that. And I, and I think, you know, that's the thing that CrossFit's special about. That's the thing like when you were talking about earlier, Luke, about your uh, goals and like, well, my goals weren't fitting what this program in CrossFit is, but that's not the only CrossFit there is. Oh yeah. And like, sure. so now, you know, as a coach and I teach my coaches and, and uh, you know, I see at Deuce Gym in, in Venice where I work out all the time, you know, everybody, one of the first questions, what are your goals? Where, where do you need to go? Whether it's like, oh, I need to look like this for a movie role or no, I'm, I'm playing uh, college baseball and I need to have like, and it's like going and sussing that out. Like that's what a coach is. A coach isn't like, Here's programming. Let's run it. I'll move you through movement. My coaches, what are your dreams? What are your goals? And how can I help you get there and remove the obstacles on the way? And and that's the beautiful thing about CrossFit. Like that that kind of, you know, so all those kinds of things where people are trying, man, that's where you'll find me. I just like that. That's what I like. Uh, 
the other stuff because I'm prone to depression and killing myself. I'd rather do that too. You know what I mean? I need to be around fired up people that are showing me, um, here's the greatness of life, you know? So well, did you have a coach go going through all those phases of your MMA that was able to make that coach athlete connection with you to make you realize like, Hey, uh, that high tide rises all ships. Iron sharpens iron. How many times have you mentality. heard me say high tide? I know it's funny you've seen those. I know dude. Um, so great, my, man. My, my roommate in college had that, um, uh, had like a little plaque on his wall and he, you know, when we walked in the house and I've been saying that and he, dude, I just laughed as soon as you said it. Cause if I can, mm -hmm. like, that's our whole motto. I, I sat with a guy who was pretty, um, a while ago, I sat with this dude who's pretty successful and we were talking about business philosophies and he asked me, I said, Oh, uh, you know, I'm pretty simple. High tide rice all boats. I want everybody around me to strive for greatness. Cause it just picks me up. And he looks at me and goes, I'm more into battleship. I got to sink you to win. And yeah. I, and I, and, and that moment, was so telling about him and more importantly his business even though the guy's outwardly very like oh yeah hey you know help this and that but that was his model and uh you know and i never wanted to be that person that uh, you know succeeds at the expense of others and i think like because we run it all the time you know it's like I, I i don't win unless you're a piece of shit or if i step on your back to get there and i think like that's such a fucking hollow it's a broken construct man well, it, it I, is for me it's yeah i mean it, it is for us too like our, i can our, see it works for guys i like you like the guy you're talking about it's like i, I can see that that's oh, a choice he's like your life is empty and alone and he is empty and, alone. and uh <laughs> you know i you know what's interesting is like listening to you talk uh for all the reasons that i played football was for the same reasons you did like the fact that i got to go out and i got to prove to myself exactly how good or bad i was and test my medal against the best in the world gives you this kind of self-fulfilling like confidence to be able to go and do more and more things yeah. and you can walk out in front of millions of people and do this and handle these people at a high stage just breed something different and uh whenever people ask me about like you know like like um you know like give, give me some history on on like what you've learned or how it all fits i said the best things in life i learned were from my mom and dad and from playing football it taught me about hard work and perseverance. Like I listen to my dad get up every morning and go to work and bust his ass and my mom is, I mean, everything. Everybody around me is a hard worker and football is one of those sports where you have to be a hard worker to, to succeed. And uh, just a second ago, I was clicking on uh, Facebook and I saw that my high school had to cancel their football season because they couldn't, they didn't have enough people to field the team. Wow. They, they started the season with 27 people and a couple guys got hurt and now they can't field the team. And I thought to myself, so we're at a point in our civilization where, uh, high school football you can't even get enough people to go field a football team that they've seen this max max exodus of kids not playing football it's a crazy thing well yeah well it's this idea maybe concussions or whatever or maybe academics are important or this and i'm not going to get a scholarship so why play right and it's like uh, i couldn't tell you i wouldn't be sitting here and i wouldn't be half of the person i was if i didn't have those opportunities and like like that was just a sad realization as i'm sitting there listening to you talk about like you know all of these um you know and uh the other thing that really struck me is uh, we also have a deal where uh, we never say no to anything. So like when people are like, Hey, come up, do this. We're always like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Because you never know where things are going to lead. Right. And like, as I was sitting there listening to you talk about your journey, I'm sure that journey could have been stopped. If you were like, yeah, I don't feel like going tonight. Oh, or, great. Hey, you know what? Uh, I don't want to get hit with a stick, but like, I guarantee you the type of dude where it's like, fuck it. It sounds like a good time. What's the worst that could happen, you know? And then that leads to one thing and then it goes here and here and here and here. And I realized most people, uh, close themselves off from, and you know, you can be hoking called the universe right. by just saying no to everything or sure. being like, no, I don't want to go out. Whereas our deal is like, I'm open to everything. People are like, Hey, you want to go here? I'm like, yeah, let's go do it. You know why? Cause we never know where it's going to pay I've out. Trained my you mouth smarter well. to be smarter than my head in a way. Cause like, <laughs> no, I'd rather eat chips and sit on the couch. 
is what I'm thinking. Well, but my answer delicious. is yes, I'll go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's, what you're it's, it's like that movie Yes Men with uh, Jim Carrey. I fucking love that movie. You know why? Because he's like, he, he, he promises himself he's going to say yes to everything. And like, yes is his path to like this kick-ass happiness. And like, he's on TV at the Nebraska game and his family's like, how the fuck's he get there? But like, I realized so many things Positivity. in my life, every amazing story that I've had. And like, I, uh, like Luke will occasionally like, all right, so tell me a really wacky story. And, you know, like, then I'll just tell him something. He's like, how'd you get into that? I'm like, I just said, yes. Hey, do you want to go here? Sure. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Right. And it, it's played into this guy's such a douche. Yeah, every day. Every but he only revs by our fucking office because we used to have a girl that worked here. That yeah, only sets and, our and, and he's literally red by like three point glancing over the shoulder in like second gear. He could just come in and say hello. <laughs> Actually, I want to go back there and just fucking weld this muffler shut. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, uh, you know, and like that's what I realized. So many people close themselves off from shit just because, oh, it's too hard. It's not worth the effort. I mean, Fisher, shout us an email. And like we we pondered it and then we're like, ah, oh. you know, like here's somebody who could have been like, oh fuck it, I'm not gonna send that email, I'm not gonna do it. And it just kind of like plays out. But I mean, just everybody that I've met that is uh, you know, has an interesting existence, because I mean, you know, your existence is like, you know, super like kind of unique and interesting. Like you went here and now you're here and it's grown into a million right. different things. Like every cool opportunity you've had is because of something else that you met. So you went here, you met this person, it leads to this, and you never know where shit's gonna go. They just did a thing, uh, we just shot. I don't know when it'll air, if it will or whatever, but they, the 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 UFC hit me up and they said, we're doing a where are they now kind of thing, right? So we filmed that, and um, which is, they don't know how to film anything. Like, they don't know how to film. They, they, they can take the best story and make that boring. They're like, here's the thing. We got this template from 2001 we're going to use, and it can make Honey Boo Boo interesting. And it's like, I understand you got to do that to make dummies interesting, but if you got invigorating people, there's content that is rich that's out that's like this you know like just but anyway, turn on the camera and let me fucking go it's true and and um and no i'm not gonna say it again i said it the way i said it that's what that's what that's reality okay uh but <laughs> the uh you know when, when when that thing uh when when they started talking about all those things and they're like one of the questions it invariably gets up. Well, do you wish this would have happened or that, or how, how do you think? That, and I, and I just can't, man, I can't play God in my life like that to the extent that I'm the God of my life is the saying yes. And the trying to um, get positive thoughts and be, have the ones that I focus on instead of the negative ones. It's not, it's not that the successful person has less negative thoughts. It's that they choose to direct their mind in a way and they train their mind to think in a positive way and, and deny the negative stuff you have to man it's and it's a it's a tricky trick but it's important but like that thing i, I always look at i go you know my, my biggest failures maybe turned into my greatest successes i just didn't have the breadth and the scope to look at it you know that's what i was thinking when you were mentioning your dad and it's like a guy that's been in that like if you have years alive it means fuck all to me like i used to think like oh you look up to that guy because he's old and i'm like some people just get old <laughs> They suck forever, and right? They, yeah, they have no rich fucking But if you're aware and you're out there doing interesting things for people, yeah. if you heighten your awareness, like a guy like your dad that's been alive a long time and then aware and hyper aware because he's oh, a yeah. professional, he's asked, like, that's a guy to listen to, Dude. you know, because he's got a breadth of scope that I can't have for another 20 years, maybe. You know yeah. what I mean? Every one of my buddies was hilarious. They always are like, like sit down and wrap up my dad. And they're like, man, I love talking to your dad because his, uh, 
you know, my dad's super smart dude, like graduated high school at 16. I mean, we, I remember in college, um, uh, you know, we would, you know, obviously have practice and fucking tired to go to bed. So my dad would call him. He, he's, he's only slept like four hours a night his whole life. Right. And so he would call me at like four 30 in the morning, every morning to wake me up and I would get up and I would study before school because yep. it was the only time I would study. And I remember he called me up and I'm like, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. And he's like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm working on this thing on McCarthyism, uh, you know, fear in America for a political science paper. And he said, Oh, there was a, a book I read and uh, I was like, right on, like right around page 49, there was this interesting passage, he quotes me the passage. And I was like, um, I was like, damn, that's, uh, that's pretty good. I'm like, uh, what was the book? And he gives me the name of the book. And um, I was like, when did you read that? He's like, 1973. <laughs> I was sitting in my apartment on La Siena. I mean, like, gives me this thing. Like, my yeah. dad's that type of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, my nephew, uh, my, my brother's son, is the same. Like, he's, he's like the same genius level my dad is. And, uh, but my dad is um, like, um, my, my brother, he calls my dad Westlaw. Because Westlaw is like the, the database that they go through and checks oh, all the yeah. law stuff. So yeah. back in the day, you used to have to buy all your law books. And then you'd have to memorize them or know the passages. And every year, they would have to update them. Now they sent Westlaw. Right. So my dad still remembers and knows all his law books. And like my brother will call him up and be like, hey, dad. Uh, it's like, mm, would have been volume 47, you know, like shit like that. But uh, uh, that's the, We're not that, born equal. That type, no, no, <laughs> no. no, no. We you'll, get, you'll get told that, kids. You'll get told my, that, but that shit is not true. My nephew, my, my nephew could read it too. Yeah. So like he sat down and knew his letters and his thing, and like we would sit and read read him stories, and he would like go along and I fuck I fuck with him and skip a page, and he'd be like, no, 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 and we'd go back and have to read. Like he could read it two years old. Yeah. He's so, he's disgustingly smart, but uh, um, the thing which is is just so interesting for you know people that have had good journeys is they make like great storytellers and like you know because they they have rich experiences whereas you meet people and you were talking to them like in a few seconds you're like yeah you've never done fucking anything in your well, life you know what it was for me it was shame in a way it's like for, for sure a lot of the interesting exciting stuff in my life has been about uh survival and being like a rat in a cage and like <laughs> like looking for a light opening somewhere but um like also, somebody was going, I remember saying I was bored one time. And this dude's like, only boring fucking people are bored. Yeah. Why don't you fucking go and live a life, goddammit? Like, you're boring. You're not bored. You're boring. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. He's like, <laughs> he's like, do you want to not be? How about you do interesting things? How about you say yes to stuff? How about you go out and you have some experiences instead of sitting here like a selfish little fuck thinking you're bored? I was like, oh, dude, what, what, we do, what we need to do is, uh, is we could start a TV show where we go and, uh, you know, basically have those fucking interventions where you knock on the door. And yes. Like, What's up? Let's talk. Like, yeah. um, Luke was great when. Uh, Pack you know, your like underwear. I, You're going to live I, with me for a week. I put, uh, like, basically a, a beacon of fucking hope out on my blog. Like, I need fucking help. Like, my wife was pregnant with twins. I had a gym. I had crossed the football. I had all this stuff. And the people around me were uh, proving themselves not capable to to do this and i knew these kids were coming so i'm like i need fucking help so i get like a hundred fucking responses right. from all of these different people that were like hey i want to come run your gym the only person i remembered was this guy from naperville illinois who after the seminar sent me a picture in his superman or a batman underwear <laughs> holding a gallon of milk into the bathroom like God so bless. this guy sends me this picture and sure enough, I like. But it had context to the seminar. So, so in the like, I'm not just. It's well, a weird. Well, well, I'm weird. In, in wrong, the seminar, but... in the seminar, you know, we talk about dairy and milk, and right. you know, milk being a, a extremely anabolic substance. And I go through this whole history of really breaking down how milk kind of plays into it, filter blood, and I go through this whole deal. And like at the end of the deal, if like you want to get bigger and strong, you want to put on muscle, 
lift some fucking heavy weights, drink some milk. Don't be weird. And don't be weird. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the big one. And there's a story about a weird guy oh, that happened so, to be... No, you don't have to tell the story. Oh, 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 oh hold on. <laughs> so, so in the... Because uh, he's actually... Rob Wolf fucking sent me this guy as a client. But this guy was uh, total fucking weirdo. And he would send me these, like, sultry pictures with, like, his hair <laughs> <and> out <laughs> of the shower. Right? Towel Perfect. on. Pulling the towel down, like, right above his junk to yeah. show me his man beat. And he would send me these pictures, like, I'm leaning out. And, I, and I'd get these fucking things. I'd be like... <laughs> so I, I I tell the story uh, in this in the nutrition seminar I used to give I used to give this guy's example of like if you find yourself going to the weird place right take a step back don't be fucking weird just, don't send me these pictures just pause don't send return right so this so Luke sends me this picture of like him holding a gallon of milk in these like fucking underoos in his bathroom <laughs> like this I'll pull it up I'll show you later I still have <laughs> like on my desktop and he's like showing it to me and I fucking laugh I'm like basically like. So I remember his name and sure enough, all these emails come through and I'm going through and I'm like, Luke Summers, underwear, milk, Naperville. And he's the only guy we interviewed and he came out. But the thing which struck me is I was like, fuck, he's like, fuck it. I got this corporate gig. I don't want to fucking have it. I'm going to move out here. We're going to do all this stuff. And I asked him, I was like, have you ever traveled or anything? He's like, no, nah, really. I think he went to Mexico or yeah, my parents. Yeah, it was his parents, but it never traveled. I'm like, well, good. You're going to fucking travel the world. You're going to tra- travel the farthest regions of the universe on this planet teaching the fucking the, the gospel of CrossFit football and he's been every continent on the fucking Sick, planet man and I was the type of guy who uh like I, and I wouldn't even call this a failure I mean it's to to each their own but I would de- advise against it sure. to anyone who's this guy but like imagine getting married uh having a kid watching my kid play at the same high school I did then them raise their kids in the yeah. same little fucking bubble and and that's how I was living my life up until that point. And, um, you know, I, I don't blame my parents. I certainly had opportunities to travel abroad, like uh, Fisher talked, as, did like a, a foreign exchange deal or travel abroad. But um, I always imagined that. And then like moving out of my my insular nest of like friends and family and work and gym and yeah. everything. I mean, every piece of my network was all within this 10 mile radius to come out here and run a gym. And my dad kind of looked at me, he's like, people would cut an arm off to be in the position you're That's in cool. right now with your life. And he's cool like, your dad said that, but he's like, well, it was, it was my current life. He's like, but if you think this is what you oh, need, he's like, go for it. And it's like, definitely uh, the, the traits of my parents, they're kind of the same thing. Like old right. town, stay home with like, family. There's gyms right here. Well, but, the, uh, uh, <laughs> the best is uh, Luke's dad was like, uh, this is my favorite. He's like, you know, uh, you don't want to lift your truck because a lifted truck doesn't drive real well. It's un- unstable. And noisy. noisy. It's real noisy. So uh, I, I used to have this old 74 Bronco that was like uh, so perfect, dude. It had like a four-weight stroker with like 600 horsepower, five-speed, 35. Jeez. This thing was like you could blow up. You could put a four-wheel drive and blow up all four. Wow. Uh, the thing was uh, Lamborghini Orange. If you actually Google uh, Orange Bronco on Google, Yours comes up. it's the first one. Yeah. It's like it still gets posted on Instagram all the time. And uh, one of our good friends bought it for his 40th birthday. He called Sick. me. I was like, I want your truck. So like Luke's like, oh, my car broke down. I'm like, well, you want to drive the Bronco? He's like. Yes. Do I? So yes, he's I fucking, it's, it's Satan's roller skate, right? And uh, he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, um, would you send a video to your dad? Or your yeah, dad I, I, I uh, sent a video of like my the garage rolling up after my girlfriend was filming it, and I like backed out and just like let it rip. And like all like the windows are shaking in my whole like uh, apartment complex. And he's like, calls me, he's like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's my loner. It's one of John's uh, California broadcast. living dad. And he's yeah. like, he's like, that's nice. I'm like, but it's lifted. He's like, 
it, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the uh, but the, I had a truck for years. I mean, it was perfect. And uh, mm-hmm. one of our good friends, who we do a bunch of consulting work for, it's like calls me up. He's like, it was his forty third birthday. He's like, forty third birthday. The only thing I want is your Bronco. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, he's like, how about X dollars? I'm like, send a truck for it. It's yours. And he literally wired me the money then that day. And then uh. And then I was, my daughters were so sad when it left. Well, I was over too. And I was yeah. fucking sad. I'm like, Everybody was sad. Like, it, I mean, dude, there, there was so much trick stuff. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, did you ever meet a buddy of Joe Rogan's, uh, Rick Maverick, who owns Starling Gear? No, I never uh, met him. But you, you know, know who it is. Yeah, so, yeah. so Rick's one of my oldest friends. Okay. And so like he designed, like, um, I had like my own ring from him, but like the, the shifter was one of Rick's uh, original skulls. Right. So it's like fucking priceless because he doesn't yep. make it anymore. So it had that. I mean, the thing was so fucking unbelievable. Killer. Like, um, and uh, as I'm going away, like my daughter was so sad and she's like, so I, I basically built them a K5 blazer. So that's the one that we've been working on for them. So, right. but yeah, my, my daughter's like, and it's so funny cause it's got a, a M16 mounts cause it's a military truck, but it's got baby seats. So my buddy took pictures with like guns in it with the baby seats and they're like, are those baby seats in there? I'm like, yeah, my daughter's like guns. So. <laughs> but it's, uh, no, I mean, it's cool. Like, and I, I always respected, uh, Luke for that and that. You know how many people really ever like fucking? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a wholesale change, sure, and it scares the death out of people. I mean, I was for me. I mean, I just kind of fell into it because I went to college, I got drafted, I literally got to drive across country um, to uh, Philadelphia, fucking show up. I literally was driving on the school expressway. I saw a number, I called it, I rented an apartment in 20 minutes. I fucking slept on the floor the first night. Went to IKEA, bought all the furniture, played there, you know, bought a house, you know, did all this, and then got traded, went to Kansas city, lived in Florida. I mean, I, uh, like I was used to like uprooting and moving yeah. and, um, you know, and I always thought it was bitching to be able to go someplace new, meet new people, uh, like find a whole new network, do this. And like, and you never know where it's going to no. lead yeah. you. And people are so scared of getting out of their comfort zone that, um, I think it just leads to fucking being bored. It's also overthinking. I think it definitely know, is overthinking because you get into it. Like you talk to those people and like, I, I go, well, what's, what's the, why not? What's, what's the can't about what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, if I did this, then this. no, 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 that's too far out. You can't say then this would happen. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Yeah. Like the greatest thing ever might be there. And any new uh, influence you have is good. I've never seen an influence that's been bad. That's been like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, that doesn't really happen where it's like, I'm going to go to this new experience. And then like, there's always something rad that happens when you push Unless the it's Scientology. Zone. Maybe, who knows? I, I mean, it might be fucking they, amazing. Who if knows? If you're out there listening to Scientology, I'll come into the fold, man. I'll do whatever. Let's go. Yeah, like <laughs> Tate, Will Smith. Uh, be like, we're not going to tell him any, 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 any kind of shit. Well, they, they, they'll never show up. And, you're, and, and here's the best part. You're like, I'll tell you everything. And you know what? If you tell everybody, I don't fucking care. Yeah, it's already on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, we'll listen to my podcast. It'll be fine. Whatever. I mean, the... Uh, you know, and, and I think what happens is a lot of people really get kind of fearful and stuff, like, you know, fearful of change. Sure. You know, and it's like, I, I think change is, is really good. And like you said, I mean, I I remember uh, um, I met like some pretty interesting, like I, I, I used to travel a lot. I mean, we still travel a lot, but I would always like, you know, there, there's two types of people when you travel. Like you sit down, you see the person, you put on fucking headphones, you're like, yep. don't talk to me. And then there's other times you're like, so what do you do? And I, I, I've sat next to some of the most interesting people. I sat next to a dude who gave me one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in this world. He said, if everybody learned one thing, this world would be so, such a better place. And I'm like, tell me this one thing. He said, uh, make more or want less. Yeah. He said, if you, everybody just either make more or want less, everybody would be fucking way happier. Yeah. Because if you don't want to work hard, don't want as much, live within your means. If you want a lot, fucking bust your ass, make more. Yeah. And it was like such a simple thing. And I was like, 
That's fucking insightful. You know, I've heard recently that if you're not happy with what you have, how do you think you're going to be happy with what you think you need? Like the thing, you know, the thing you don't have yet. Like, well, that's the fight club. And that's the deal, right? More shit fucking just makes you more fucking anxiety of just having more shit. I always said whenever I started, whenever dudes, like whatever that age was where it's like people thought I knew something, you know, and uh, and dudes would come up and be like, well, what what about this? Or what do you think about that? Or whatever. And uh, I go, you know, like the, the, the biggest thing I think is that take like taking yourself out of the um, kind of melee of life and looking at it objectively, like to where like these little things that are happening in your life aren't really that big a deal. You know, you know, like, cause like we make this mountains out of nothing. And it's like, whatever you're all torn up about today in six months, I guarantee you won't even be able to tell me what it was that bothered you six months mm-hmm. ago. It's like, they don't exist. And so we're in this temporal kind of thing where we create permanence is an illusion like it doesn't exist you know it's like and like that's a huge perspective to look at so it's like you can when i go you can try anything like literally anything is possible like don't step on other people's toes and be a dick and then go ahead and do whatever you want as long as it's not hurting anybody else it, it's yeah. all fair game like right on and what's it, crazy too is like the the shittiest situations over a certain time period become the most hilarious story yeah well kind of like what happened to you on friday night i've gotten at least four or five days out of laughter really (laughs) good friday uh uh long story short and i don't know maybe we edited it out well uh so these idiots go out and i'm pretty sure that somebody slipped a ghb yeah all through me and me and two buddies had like uh, like it was the hangover of the movie to a t waking up and having no clue and, uh, you know, I, I cracked my head How open. How creepy are people that don't Dude, people? And one of our buddies people. ended up in the hospital with a wristband that said, uh, fall risk. Fall and risk. He was drenched. Li- li- literally woke up and was like, where the fuck am I? And they're like, well, you've been, you know, like, what drugs are you on? He's like, Dude, we went out and had a couple of beers. Yeah, and like, these guys are like, we went, we did go to the bars and stuff, and but we are, I would consider ourselves like, we like to drink, we're experienced drinkers. You know and it wasn't, drink. like, like, this isn't their first rodeo. Yeah, like, this was. so glad you're okay. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah, he's 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 split, uh, so, so my, um, uh, our fabricator, so like four doors down, we have a, a, like a little hobby shop where we work on trucks and fuck around. And so my fabricator buddy who kind of runs it, uh, he happened to be at the bar with his girlfriend who had, saw that witness. Well, we'll saw this going on and they pulled him in and he was like, honestly, he goes, they were drunk, like, like little kid drunk. And he had to like carry Luke. Yeah. Like he saw his blocks. power down. He like saw everybody. Power yeah. He, down, he, you know? he was like, you know, and his, his girl who's like, in 21 was like how old are these guys they're fucking like like retarded drunk and uh he's like i don't know what happened and so he carried them and like yeah. it was it was good will was there man 100 yeah. like guardian angel I, I definitely owe that guy big time yeah. but uh but yeah these guys and then he woke up in his house and then his other buddy woke up with like some weird irish couple or yeah something yeah the place. different place and then the other buddy in the i used to work like, at a nightclub and i was and people would be like oh do you want you to drink a coke or what like never and and i would never drink anything i'd get a bottle of water with a cap on it put it in my pocket i never set it down anymore yeah. i was like there are so many creepy dude, people dude, learning dude, dude, no I, way. I was at a club in vegas at the least i can't imagine being a, being somebody that somebody wanted to fuck dude, like <laughs> if you were a hot girl like thank god i look like me <laughs> we, we were at a, a, a club, uh, whatever the club downstairs in uh, the Hard Rock is, right? And uh, we were at this big table with all these celebrities. Uh, well, uh, Kevin Federline was what, one of them. Yeah. But you know, and uh, so we're out, and all these people, and this fucking broad comes over with a big tray of shots. And uh, I actually had been in the club like a year before, and somebody came over with the same tray of shots, and this girl sitting on my lap. I drank a shot. She poured hers in my mouth. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't feel so good. And I remember like my eyes loaded. roll in the back of my head. 
I run out and I throw up outside the club, like all up in the, um, uh, all up in the, uh, like parking lot. And like, I literally fell down and I remember my buddy chased me out and he helped me and I collapsed in the elevator yeah, and he dragged me into the room and he fucking some, somehow got me into the room. They called nine one or calls the, the medical staff and they came up and they shined the light in my eyes and all that. And they were like, uh, what happened? They were like, honestly, we just got to the club. We, they, we bought a round of shots. He did like two shots. And this happened to like, he got drugged. And uh, I woke up at like eight in the morning. was like, what's up? I feel great. And they, he was like fucking freak, freaking out on me. And I was like, dude, I thought, so long story short, I, I got dosed. And so ever since then, I was like, I'm uber paranoid about it. Like, like at a club, I like crack a Red Bull. Like I always grab a fresh Hold one. Hold on to it the whole yeah, time. Whole you drink oh, should yeah. I set it down? Actually, no, no I don't no, want the rest no, I, I lose it. I, yeah. I never accept drinks, never do shots. So they come around with this uh, tray of shots, same deal. I'm like, I'm good. Toasting my Red Bull. And um, somebody put PCP in the shots. Oh. And like my buddy, uh, the, one of the waitresses, she collapsed. It took her. She was in a coma. My other buddy was in the hospital three days. Like six of the people in there, like wasn't in every shot, like fucking were in the That's hospital. Some psychotic shit. So like to do that to I, somebody, I, dude. People, people are fucked up. Like what they'll do and stuff. So like, long story short is like I'm fucking uber paranoid about that shit. As soon as they told me what happened, I was like, man, you guys got dosed. Yeah, long. So sure. but, um, oh, oh, I know it's getting to. I, I used to work security in San Francisco. And uh, there was a dude that had uh, uh, the club we were working at. There was a, basically something bad had gone down. The police came and interviewed us that this girl had been drugged at the club. And basically some guy had pulled her out and uh, uh, ended up uh, raping her. And so they came and we were like, no, we won't see anything. You know, we didn't really know anything. But then, of, of course, you become like hyper focused and vigilant watching the shit. And uh, we ended up all of a sudden observing a girl acting like she came with her friends. Next thing you know, she's falling down, acting all crazy. And there were these fucking two dudes that were like hanging out near him, kind of predatorish style. And so, like, we see it going on. I remember we go like kind of scoop the girl up, and we're like, "Hey, you should uh, take your friends out of there." And the dudes are there, and uh, we ended up escorting those guys off the back. And, yeah, dude. Yeah, they, it was it's a bad. So, it was so bad deal probably, dude, I remember grabbing a guy, and like, because you don't know who's unless you get triggered as a security guy yeah. in a club. You don't know who's who, who's come with somebody, who just met somebody. Yeah. Like, people get awfully amorous without knowing anybody right away sometimes and whatever. And and everything's great. But, like, when you see people that are clear, yeah. you, like, you got markers and you're like, oh, their body's not moving right. Yeah. That Okay, so then you're like, you're watching her or whatever, dancing with the guy. And, like, and I don't know if that's his her brother. They've come together. I don't know if they just, I don't know anything, man. And well, you can't really say anything. You can't be like. And I would just, I would straight up threaten dudes. No, I, and I grab dude by the neck, put him on the wall, go, you're, oh, you're going to take her out right now. She's all fucked up. Like, and then he goes, yeah, but whatever. That's my business. I go, motherfucker, it's my business. And if I find out that she's, if she, if there's anything that comes back, I'll fucking find you, dude. dude we, we, and like, up, uh, we, I don't know that it helps. But we, we ended up having these suits up and they had uh, uh, like three bottles of Visine. Yeah. So they'd obviously cool. been putting something, whether it was Visine, whatever yep. it was, in a Visine. And then kind of going over and squirting on people's yep. drinks. So we find this and, uh, you know, this was good because this was the mid-90s, pre-cell phones, yep. pre, you know, a lot of this stuff. So, um, but needless to say, that that thing got, uh, we, we basically squirted those guys. But there's a good it. chance that those guys, those guys were yeah. highly probable and <laughs> yeah. probably they got priors. Yeah, well, and, and you know, like, it, you like know? they were bad people. But, I mean, the uh, the thing which I always was good in that situation, young, I, one, I was young, but the guys I all worked with were all uh, fucking bad dudes. Yeah. And uh, stone sober. 
So yeah. like, hey, I'm gonna be in. I'm here doing this job. Nobody yeah. drank it. It was like, you know, why? Because fucking, you do anything stupid, somebody's gonna throw a punch. Like, everybody's got to be on fucking deal. And uh, you know, I it was uh, one of the best experiences and one of the worst experiences because from the day I worked in the clubs, I don't think I ever drank because right. I was like so disgusted the way people acted. It's amazing. And then when you leave, I was like, oh, I can go back to drinking. But I was so fearful of like being that fucking guy. Yeah. You know? I always thought too, man. Whenever I'd see, like you talk about, like going and going to the hospital, or whatever. God bless the first responders. Yeah, for stuff. sure. Like you know, what I really wage. It's crazy. Wage. I mean, or ER docs or nurses, yeah. like people that are seeing the tragedies that come in, and just through folly, just through people like having a good time, being drunk and stupid or whatever, or through some malicious shit, whatever it is. Like I think it was like a friend of mine's a cop, and and. Uh, He's like, well, you know, you know, you got a sense like this and that. And you go, I'm like, I wouldn't be a great cop, but whatever. But like, and, and I started thinking about it. And then I'd heard about an accident. And I was like, there's no way I could be a first responder to an accident. And would see some kid ripped in half from, or what, like, I'm not yeah, like the trying to have, I got enough images in my head. I don't need that. I don't have that kind of thing. And I think my, my friend is uh, in Iraq. She's a medevac pilot. She's a beautiful blonde girl. And she flies Blackhawk helicopters, right? Like. It's kind of a G and um, <laughs> she flies a team of five people in medevacs. Um, it's all these special forces dudes right now. Cause we're pretending we're not at war, I guess in Northern Iraq, but no, we're just uh, um, operating. In, uh, it's crazy. Sex. Guys dying every day, like you know, port, like whatever, but like that's, a, they don't have guns. You know what I mean? They have, I mean, they have a sidearm or whatever, and maybe an M4 or whatever it is, but it's not like it's a gunship no. and they don't have anybody that's a safety for them. They fly in into hot zones and pull guys out and, um, she pulled a guy that had unexploded ordnance through his body. And they're like, do you want to take him? And, and she's like, I got to do it. Everybody, yep, we're good. Put him in. And she's like, yeah, I've never, but like that kind of thing. It's like, I would be way more comfortable putting bullets through people all day long than that. Like, it seems like there's so much invested in that as, instead of just strafing and walking through it or whatever. It's like, I don't know that I could do that, man. That's a special kind of godsend, those folks. One of our uh, good friends, he uh, trains with us. Um, he's uh, one of the, the local sergeants around here for the PD. He comes and works out with us. We, I, I did his back rehab when he was all fucked up, but he stopped by this morning, went to breakfast. And uh, it's pretty interesting, like, the, the state at which they, they are at now with, like, the body cameras and cell phones and the way people are treating these guys. He goes, in, in essence, they've really taken the ability to act a lot of away from these guys. He goes, you know, he goes, things that we would have been more involved in later. Now it's like. Maybe hands off. Yeah, know. hands off. You know, he's like, a, you know, literally pull a kid over, almost gets hit on PCH on his fucking skateboard. And like pull him over, like talk to him about, hey, dude, don't fucking die. And his fucking buddies are putting themselves, what, 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 what do you want him? And he's like, hey, yeah, I'm not fucking arresting him. I'm trying to fucking talk some sense into him so he doesn't get fucking killed. Or I would arrest him and go, you're putting everybody at risk. Every driver here, yeah. their risk is swerving out of the way and caught you. You're right now, you're a terrorist yeah. to the goddamn highway, you dumb fuck. No, it's, Take it's, your skateboard and go home. It's uh, for all the technology and for all the the advances, and we think we're doing all this great. I mean, I think it's I, I think it ends up fucking us over because what it in some really... ways, but as soon as there's transparency everywhere, and I think as long as everybody is transparent, it's good because in a, in a way, well, then you gotta like get rid of the internet. Everybody's human. No well, man, you make get it all on the internet. Put it all on the internet. Well, but but I mean, awesome. but, but think about the internet is really people's ability to create a facade. Like, think about how many. So Not so if it's real. So think think about this. Think about how many jujitsu black belt, uber badass, fucking special forces, six foot five, fucking uh, three hundred kilo Olympic lifters that you know fucking also compete in pro bodybuilding mm -hmm. are on the internet. But you know what the deal is? 
I'm in those micro communities and I would know a guy that knew that guy if he was real. Yeah. So you, it's, you get, a, you got to show and prove. You can't say, you can't pretend you were a SEAL team six guy and not be, cause I can, I've got Google. Yeah. You know, or, and, and so or you can call Andy Stumpf. I mean, uh, right, my right. favorite you can, you can call- is we've met dudes that were like pretending to be, I'll be like, what's your buds number? I'd be like, oh yeah, where do you know? And like within seconds, you're like, come on, dude. Like, I mean, there's people get out it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like, I was at a, uh, we were at, I was at a bar one time. And this dude was, uh, we were sitting with a bunch of people and this, this girl like brought this guy and she's like, oh, hey, these guys are NFL players too. And like, we looked at the right. dude and like the dude like looks at us and was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, where'd you play? And the guy's like, oh, I played uh, D-line for the Redskins. I was like, oh, really? NFC East? I played for the Eagles. I played offensive line. Uh, you're not a starter because I would know. Right. And then the guy was like, I was like, were, were you a backup? Because I know those guys too. There's only like seven of them. Like the NFL is such a small, small community. Yeah. Oh, the guy was like, "Well, are we, you know, like, uh, like, well, like, you know how it is." And I was like, "Well," and then he realized, like, "Oh shit," you know, it's yeah. kind of like one of those deals. Yeah. The guy was like, "Oh yeah, I gotta go," and like bolts out. But I mean, he was probably slaying broads left and right off of that fucking line. Could be. You know, girls. The, the girls are open to make bad choices when they're alone at a bar. <laughs> yeah, you get a couple drinks. It's just like a dude with a boner. He never makes a good choice. I mean, not on purpose. You're not purposely going out and devising good choices. You're like you're gonna, you're gonna caught. It almost shouldn't be have such staggering fucking consequences. Like you could have a kid out of that. Mm-hmm. Out of the thing that feels best in the world. It's like now I gotta do this for the next. Yeah, I, I got like, two of them. And and I got, and I, and I got How shocking was that when you when they came out and you're, they're like twins? Were you like, holy fuck? Well, I, I remember when my wife uh, came home with the ultrasound and she showed me. I'm like. Why are there two little blinking lights? And she's like, "That's because it's twins." I was like, "That was the first you'd heard of it." Is yeah. She told you like that. That's well, funny. So, so my wife uh, competed in my, my wife competed in the CrossFit Games, and uh, she got done. I was having like some real adrenal problems. She's like, "I'm this healthy. You think I'm not going to have twins?" So, Whatever. so my wife was having real <laughs> severe adrenal problems, and so uh, adrenal fatigue is linked to uh, birth control and estrogen. So the high estrogen level. So the doc that we went and saw to kind of help her get through it was like, hey, I want you to go off your birth control for 30 days and see if we can retest you and see how everything goes. So she uh, goes 30 days and then goes back to the doc. Hey, I'm feeling better. And the doc's like, okay, I want to get back on birth control. So what they do is they give you a pregnancy test. So she literally goes to take the pregnancy test and like she like takes out a package and it like turns blue. And she's like, I think this one's broken. And the doctor's like, huh. So they throw on the ultrasound and she's like, the babies are four weeks old. So she literally got pregnant like that first wow. like week that she was off and i was like how did that happen and she's like uh, i don't know so <laughs> now we got two wonderful so married to you, can God see, well born, so that yeah, you, can yeah. see, you can see my two little ones over there yeah so and then we got a third one on the way crazy man so that's the thing when you're a little kid and they're like here's all the options for birth control and then you hear like withdrawal and i was like that always sounds like the very worst one i'm like the thing that feels the very best you when the best thing, the best part's about to happen, it's called you the pull, want out me to pull out. Like, <laughs> like that seems like that's the worst choice you could make in that position. Like that's the last thing you want well, to do. Well, the problem is you only to get your, your hand caught in the cookie jar because you probably stay in a little bit longer. You should. You're like, oh. No, no, no. But do you know what happened? I became an expert at it. Oh, yeah. You can all, time it up perfect. That's all thanks to pornography. <laughs> because now I couldn't imagine coming inside a girl. I just think well, you're supposed to come all over their tits, face, or ass, or something. That's the way that it goes, right? And so I got retrained through the internet. So thanks, internet. That's why the internet needs to be full transparency. Full transparency. transparency. Uh, you, you don't have any kids? I have, I have a 19-year-old that got adopted when she was two. 
and I hadn't seen her, strangely enough. Um, we, I was completely, uh, it was the, the dark times of the internet. Uh, there was just MySpace, and um, and I didn't want to fuck up her family. Like the, I was in a like in a, in a dark space, and like her mom was uh, married. I think maybe three months or six months into her life, and they, um, and then they they adopted her. I was like, it was a, one of those horrible kind of conditions where I was like, I don't know, like none of this is gonna feel good. Like and and. Um, but I don't want her to be fucked up and feel like, like this is part of, if you guys can have a good stable life and that's it, like, and it's like rad, I guess, I don't know. Like, and I'm a minimum wage worker and just out of, uh, you know, a, a federal uh, detention center. And I, I didn't really have any success at following through with much. And so they did a full adoption, all that. And then when I went on the ultimate fighter, I guess it, and it, it was right around that time. And there was, um, Somebody in my family had a, a good friend of theirs that needed like a bone marrow transplant or something, and they were getting rejected. And they're like, you need it to be closer than cousins, or you need it to be almost mimicking your bone marrow kind of thing. And it scared me. And I thought, man, little Olivia is out in the world, and maybe she'll need me sometime. And I don't know. And I don't want to fuck up her life, and I don't want to be upsetting to anybody. And so her, her mom made like uh, macrame towels or something on something on ebay and i searched her name through ebay was the only way i knew how to find her and somebody had written a blog about one of the things that she got from her and then i wrote that lady email i go hey i need to connect and that anyway i got connected with her mom that way and then i got to see her a couple times and then her mom got very upset with me and i didn't see her again um until about a month and a half ago and uh and so uh, and now we're teaching her how to drive and we're, uh, she just moved down to Long Beach. And so we hang out quite a bit and, and uh, see each other like that, but that it's a trip. It's like, I, I mean, it's, uh, both like a privilege and it's like, I don't know how to really behave. I'm not really like her dad. And then I'm like, but I'm the dopest dude you'll ever meet. And I can help you in life. <laughs> like, it's like, and yeah, so like, lessons I, learned. I, I you're know, like, dude, I, 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 I got I, stuff locked in. If you want to know, I can help with almost anything. And if I don't know, I know somebody that does. And, and that's not just braggadocio. That's like fucking, I got results yeah. in the bank. And, and uh, so I feel good in the way that I like, I'm in the best possible place I've ever been in my life to be able to be useful to somebody else. Whereas before, maybe I wouldn't have been anything but uh, a miserable example. I don't know. You know? Yeah. But yeah, that's what it is. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got a chance. I mean, uh, dude, it's uh, so nice. It's the first time it's ever felt good, John. It's the first time it's ever felt like, because it's always been a, like, like my life, I've, I've worked really hard to get it clean and to be like, my life's pretty transparent. And then this is this one thing where I'm like, there's just no good choices in that. I don't know what I could have done better or what I should have done or what if this was right or that's right. It's like, there's like this ambiguous kind of well, thing that was you dark did, and you, now it seems like it's clear. You did the kind of the, the, the least selfish thing, which is like, hey, I'm, I'm probably won't be the best person around. So like there's a better opportunity yeah. and i think other people are like so worried about themselves like it was um like having kids kind of puts a lot of shit in perspective like uh you know like we fucking daily fight the the battle you know i would like i joke that like we're like beowulf always fighting the good fight like always sure. constantly battling against like the fucking just bullshit that we deal with on a daily basis and like i come home and then like you're like pull up and you're you watch your daughters literally run out naked into the street to like meet you at the car and they're out there like waving at you and i'm like let's go put some clothes on and they're like am i you know like 
nuclear like, they were hot we're yeah. in california <laughs> yeah they, they were like why are you wearing pants you yeah. know and like my neighbors drive by and i like you know like you see them and they're like over there like fighting the dogs for their toys and it's like the uh the existence and you see everything and you're like all right this puts on perspective like so like cool. let's go be dad and go play and, and have a good time and the other thing too is um much like you i'm like hey uh it doesn't matter what you want to do in this world whether it's athletics anything i either know somebody Right. Or like I can call somebody or I can help you. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Like, I mean, I got friends, you know, like in the fight world, the football And I'm world. not going to blow smoke. Like, like, I'm not going like, to pretend if I don't know. Like, yeah, we'll like they got friends at NASA. Like yeah. you want to be an NASA? We yeah. got people. So like it, I think what um, is so cool about the journey and, uh, you know, like my brother asked me this once. He was like, you know, uh, uh, like how many people have like a roadmap for a lot of this stuff. And the, yeah. uh, one of my pet projects is this ideal on like how to develop athleticism. And like, you know, is there something that you can do early on with your kids from like day one up until maybe six, seven, eight years old, like to influence them in terms of right. like helping them become more athletic and, and especially just, when you look at the design of the human body in that way, like through certain ages, uh, things become implanted and impact that body to where they're transcendent for the life of that body. Right. And like at this age is yeah. this, at this age is this, we're, we're best yeah. apt to learn these things that will stay with us forever. Well, like food, food's a uh, case in point. Like if you, you know, uh, like can basically create like a, uh, you know, like a perfect diet for a kid that they eat up until let's say three to five years old. And all of a sudden at that point, like, so many of those genetic things are already set that even if they were to not be as they're going strict, into public schools and they're going to yeah. eat garbage. Yeah, right well, yeah, or, or it's going to be exposed to them, but it's not as kind of harmful at that. Now, I hear a lot of people like um, running a gym, and when I was more involved in it, there'd be people who would come up and be like, "I'd like to eat like a paleo-like diet or like whatever." But you know, I've got kids, and so many people use kids as an excuse. So yeah, like, a, whether that's why they stay in their job, their house, their city, their what? I'm like, they're kids. You don't you? I mean. My dog doesn't tell me when he wants to eat. I'll feed that fucker tomorrow if I feel like it. Like, so, so uh, <laughs> what? Uh, and and we we dealt with this. So, like when uh, before my little girls were knew what was going on, all they knew is what we fed them. Their first meal was a diet of uh, liver and egg yolks, uh -huh. and that's what we fed them. And like I basically like sat down and we sat with some pretty sharp people, like custom design, like what's the perfect diet? That's for the thing because that's what's so cool. To me. And and they all eat it. And like, uh, and now they're four years old. They still eat that way. Like they eat like, you know, and my wife is, um, my wife hands down is probably one of the best moms. Like she's a great wife, but like what she does for, for my kids, like she wakes up at five in the morning and makes them these fucking custom lunches. Right. Like she'll send me pictures and I'm like, how come I don't get that lunch? She's like, well, you're not a fucking kid. I'm like, right. but, um, and she sends it. And my wife, like at least once a week, the teacher be like, your kids have the best lunches. And it's like, it's meat, it's berries. It's like she makes these kick-ass lunches and that's what the kids you guys eat. just take a picture of yourself at the beach. Have you seen the parents? Right. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I mean, but, but, but so my wife is 100% committed. Um, and what's interesting is like, guys are kind of like, uh, if your wife is like, my wife's hard line, this is what they eat. And like, uh, she always says like, you know, if the girl's like, well, I don't eat this. She's like, you know, fucking eat and go to bed. Now listen, that's what I said too. I go like, then you know what is a great, great seasoning? Hunger. Yeah. And they don't have to, I don't, don't, you don't have to finish everything, but you're not going to eat what it like. You're not going to eat well, and, candy later. Well, and, and we, we've run into people all the time. Like, Oh, our kids don't eat it. So we make them a special meal. Right. Bullshit. My mom made us dinner. And if you didn't want like you, you don't have to eat. 
when do you start but I'm not making anything fucking kids? Or when do they go, well, that pizza slice at school that Mary had, I wanted to try it or something instead of those home lunches. Uh, Are you forecasting that already? Yeah, like like we... Because um, like that probably won't happen until they're 10 to 13 so or something, right? My one daughter, is uh, she's definitely got gluten allergy. And uh-huh. I only know that because like if she eats anything dicey, like I had to change her diapers. Right. So like dairy and she's yeah, got more tell. allergies. Tells. So, yeah, so uh, I remember being like, ooh. But yeah. um, for her, like my other daughter, not so much. But like basically we're like, hey, we, we don't eat that stuff. And I explained to them why we don't eat that stuff. And so they're pretty funny. And they're like, no, we don't eat that stuff. So like kids cool. will be like, they're like, we don't eat that sugar. We don't do this. Just don't training. Do this. You know, it's like very much like a lot of, I don't know, probably the same. Like a lot of my friends, 35-ish year old women are uh, had like breast cancer scares in the last couple of years. And, I, and then the doctors, uh, they, I, said, I said, well, why is that? They go, well, I asked my doctor. He goes, it's the first, um, we're the first ones that have been on birth control since we've been having our first period. And so that changes your estrogen levels the whole time of your life. And that speaks to cancer. And like uh, a Gladwell wrote a great book and he talked on it. One of his chapters, I can't remember which one it was, but um, really interesting, the science behind that and that that's what's happening. Like, and right now we're seeing the kids that have been on brain medication for a year, you know, when we're seeing the effects of this, but like right now we also have this great opportunity to be the first parents in a way that are like really intentionally feeding our children instead of just getting the job done of making lunch kind of thing, you know? And so you're, th- I mean, well, none of us were thoughtfully fed ever. Like, no, I don't know anybody that was thoughtfully raised and goes, well, I want you to have these good body mechanics for when this happens. It's like, well, maybe when he's older, we'll play baseball or something. It's never like, well, thoughtfully that's how we were raised. But now we have a situation where like, you know, obviously we would look at the meals, but even with my kids, like all the things we work on, like all of like, uh, Hey, we're going to do this. I create all of these little environments because I know where it kind of leads to and what the, the master plan is. Yeah, being a parent is being a coach. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, like, so we, we talk about this stuff, but there's also a weird thing. And I, I don't know what we're going to work. My wife's pregnant with a boy right now. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of interested to see if there's a difference because with little girls and women in general, like, if they don't want to fucking do it, there's no talking them into it. Right. Like my one daughter, I can kind of coax. My other daughter puts her foot down and she's not doing it. She's like, I'm not playing any of your tricks, old man. And, uh, but I hope like with a son, I can be like, here's the deal. Like, cause uh, Luke, Luke, when I, we found out we're having a boy, Luke and I sat here and we laughed and he's like, we're going to give this kid the best the combo skill set in the world. Yeah. He's going to not only be fit, he's going to lift weights. He's going to be strong. We're going to let him play the guitar because if you play the guitar, you can totally pull chicks. And like all, all these things, guitar, sing, yeah, got to so, be acrobatic. Yeah, he's got to be acrobatic. He's got to be able to dance. He's got to be able to move. Yeah, the, so, so, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like he will be this dude, and all of a sudden, like people will like he'll be like eighteen years old, and then like people will be like have all these talents and be able to do stuff and just slam broads left and right, yeah. and he'll be like, my dad almost like he was putting me in a position to slay hot broads. So I'll be like, yeah, what do you think, dude? Yeah, yeah, what do you think? It's this was an accident. Man. It's interesting. Like people. Uh, they often think, well, we'll just let it be whatever it is and like, or, or whatever, whatever it is they like, they're developed their own taste. And it's like, it's kind of, that's not what discipline is. And like the best thing in my life has been where I've gone, oh, discipline is the, that's the, that's the thing that makes the difference between sucking and not sucking yeah. at life. And it's like, you, you're either disciplined by somebody or you become self-disciplined in a right. way. You put yourself yeah, in position, but nobody's self, uh, so, yourself. So very, it's very hard for, for, people to develop self-discipline without being disciplined beforehand. Mm. So like, if you like discipline, all of a sudden you found something that gave you discipline right. and still self-discipline in you, whether right. it was the fight stuff or you realize you need a life change. And the, yeah, like, I mean, I, I've never, and then this is a, a like, I, I'll wrap it offline. Cause I, I think you got like, you totally switched on with this stuff, but I started uh, going through and like 
basically all the people in our network, I just started interviewing them with a bunch of questions on this kind of child development. And um, the one thing which was universal in all the successful people that I ran into, not a single one of them was like, God, my parents were so easy on me. Right. Everybody that I know that was like very successful, whether it was an athlete, whatever, was like, God, my parents were fucking hard on me. They demanded a lot. Yeah. And like at certain points, it felt like a lot, but like I knew I could live up to it. Like I, I, I and I, I had a chance to, to talk, talk to our, our good friend who's a real prominent doctor. And I asked him, I was like, was there, you know, you're, you know, you got a bunch of kids, you know, this, I mean, is there anything you do? And he different, he kind of like took his glasses off and rubbed his eyes. He's like, I was too hard on my kids. And he's yeah. like, I regret as a grandfather looking back, thinking I'm too hard on them. And I'm like, would you go back in time and change that? He's like, not a fucking chance. Yeah. He goes, that regret that I have knows that I was hard on my kids to get them where they needed to be. And now as a grandfather, I regret it, but I would never go back and change it. It's one of the biggest things I had as a great, but I, I, I thought, you know, the, the thing that your parents want more than anything is to know that you're going to be, that they know in a broader way than you could ever know that the world is a hard, dark motherfucker in a lot of ways. Like they know that and they go, I want this person. And they know it can be beautiful and enriching too, but they just want to know I created a human that can succeed and take care of themselves in these aberrant conditions. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, that's what that speaks to. I yeah. think it's like, yeah, dude, like you're I like, I don't want to watch. Like, I think the hardest thing about raising a child would be like, looking and going, I don't want her to fall down and skin her knees. I don't want that. But I don't they, want, but you know what? Motherfuckers to. need scars. And if you don't have it, you don't know that that hurts and you don't know how to stand up and you got to learn to stand up. Well, and, and that, and also like creating the right environment, like, um, uh, you know, like if I, um, like your parents are, are, are it's kind of interesting. Like as a parent, you have to be kind of the, like the mastermind, obviously architect. Right. But at the end of the day, like there's certain people, like you can't like, like, for example, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could teach my kids some things, but at the end of the day, you have to go out and find people that help reinforce what you're teaching. Like if I had a son and I brought him to you and I was like, Hey, I want to teach him some MMA right. stuff, even though I know how to fight. Like, yeah, I, this is important to me. I can do it, but he has to hear it from like, it's Another almost voice. like a child has to hear it from like all size. And it's like one voice becomes that parent like this, but yeah. when they start hearing it, there's a cohesive message. And I think where a lot of people fuck up is when they get mixed messages. These kids aren't smart enough to really delineate, like they can delineate who's who's real, who's honest, and who's for them and against them. Like kids are incredible at knowing like who's in their corner and who's not. But like I think they have a tough time delineating like like what's a good message and a bad message. So it's almost like distinguishing judgment. Like yeah, certain, yeah, well they yeah, they don't have yeah. the mental capacity. So then as a, as an, as an adult, I could be like, Hey, fucking Tate's a switch on cat. Like we're on the same boy. If I take my son there and he works with him, he's going to instill the values, the hard work and the, uh, you know, traits that I want, or I think are most necessary for right. him to help out. Because I mean, at the end of the day, and, and you, you know, this dude, like, what do you really know about yourself? If you've never been in a fight or a real situation, true, I mean, that's true. Right. A fight club. And like, like, and I think why that movie spoke so much is like, how do you really know about yourself? If you've never been in that fucking, like, life and death that struggle that situation you know, and how many producers? people have not been in that situation is fucking amazing to me it's crazy i can always tell man like the guys that are really entitled douchey fuckers i'm like oh it just dawned on me like he's never been hit in the mouth yeah, yeah. Not, and he's never had a consequence yeah. like to his fucking mouth yapping and 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 thinking about that i look at that stuff like everywhere all, all the dudes that i look at like and because jim's bringing all kinds of dudes you see people everywhere and i'm like that is one mediocre, low-performing son of a bitch over there that thinks he's awesome. Yeah, he Why no would idea. he think that? He has no reason well, to think that. How, how many people, too, have rolled in and been, like, uh, like there, and they, like, kind of acting, like, totally, completely unfriendly? 
Sure. You know, like uh, when we rolled up to do the uh, the podcast, I saw right. you sitting there eating orange. I like right. sat down. I was like, hey, what's happening? Yeah, I'm, yeah, done. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, happy yeah. to meet everybody. Yep. You're like, hey, you were like, hey, do you want something orange? I'm like, I'm good. Or, or yeah, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm good. I don't need any orange. But yeah. you know, like, let's hang out. Like, like that itself shows confidence or how many people walk over and like it, it just it, it's always interesting to see like the dynamic of people yeah. like either they're intimidated so then i'm intimidated i'm gonna act cool and you're like hey man i'm just here to fucking eat right lunch. right right yeah it's a trip man it's a, like I, I look at that and, I, and all the stuff we think we need like going back to that thing like when i, I remember telling a dude like he's like well, i really need if i get this job like so much hinges on this i'm really worried about this I'm not, and i'm like dude i hope you get the very best job that you think that you need. I hope you get all the pussy you think you need, all the money, the car. I hope all that shit come so you can find that that's not what you lack. That's not the emptiness, man. And then tell you, I think until you get all that shit in spades, you kind of don't know. Like, oh, there's a bigger boat that we're in here. This isn't it at all. You Dude, know, I saw so and so many, many guys things. never see that. There's never an awareness that pops and they go. Oh fuck! Dude, here's I'm on the mountain I, and I can see other shit now. I worked and played with so many dudes that uh had this like this like empty void and they thought that buying more shit mm -hmm. this new brand new stuff would like fill the void and like it would give a momentary excitement and then it would go away so then what they had to do is keep buying more and more sure. expensive more fucking ostentatious bullshit and just to try to fill the void and it never fucking that's, worked that's the sickness when you hear guys that sign for 60 million a year and you're like How's he bankrupt four years later? Yeah. That, that's well, I mean, and, and, I mean and, and we've seen it where like people just like, and, and I, I watched it and like, I remember, uh, I mean, dude, I was, um, I, I wrote a blog about it, but uh, when I lived in Philly, I used to ride with these dudes that were uh, ex-pagans and helped me build my first bike and uh -huh. we were just like the fucking best dudes in the world. And um, we were down at Daytona Beach for right. a week. Depending who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you're friends, it's good. There's other guys that have different references. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's other people that don't have the same relationship I do. But uh, me and one of the guys, we were down in uh, in Daytona Bike Week. And we rode up uh, to this little spot called Peggy's. Hospitals everywhere. I hear it's awesome. Daytona, Daytona Bike Week is pretty awesome. Pretty so we're, we ride our bikes up. And uh, it's like on the marquee, it says like Van Sant Band. And we like walk in. And it's Leonard Skinner playing their warm-up show. Because they're going to play on the beach in Daytona. The, you are old. the next night right so we walk in and like I, I literally walk in and there's like five fucking drunk bikers there's like a trailer next to the stage where dudes are getting tatted and like we walk in and all these fat bikers sitting at picnic tables and i'm walking in and i'm like it's fucking Leonard Skinner you know fucking play fucking so crazy and we walk in and they, they finish and like the dude plays a simple man yeah which is like my one of my favorite songs and i sat there drinking beer like little with these fat bikers these dudes getting inked up. Kind of doesn't get better than that. That's it was fucking great. one of the best, and it was like one of the most ex best experiences of my life because, like, that song when I'm sitting there, I'm like, it's all about being simple, just be a simple man. And uh, then that next night, we were um, uh, they played in front of like a hundred thousand people on the beach in Daytona. It was just oh, kick out wow. deal, but we got to see them like their warm up private and, show. Uh, yeah, it was a private show, and like that song to me was like everything because I was in the That's NFL. That's beautiful, John. That's Whenever you saw this shit, like all like the dude who. I, I joke with these guys. I was at my locker one day and the FedEx guy showed up and this dude had bought like 25 pairs right. of fucking 24 inch rims. And the FedEx guy yeah. came in with 50 fucking rims stacked all around his locker and they were like two grand a piece. So he bought like $100,000 in rims because he get tired of cracking his rims because he was driving around on little rubber right. band tires and his fucking Escalade and like, going <laughs> over fucking bumps. And like, I remember being like, uh, just be a simple man, man. Just drive a pickup truck. Like, and you know what? Be simple. How many rims do you need 
to equal an experience of sitting there drinking a beer, listening to Leonard Skinner with a couple of guys. Yeah. Like there's, there's not enough fucking rims, dude. That's on, my point. On the, there's not on, enough. On the rigid chopper that I that uh, we built in yeah. my buddy Billy Bob's garage. That's the thing is they're not enough. Whatever that external shit is, there's not enough of that to fill that up. Like that's the story. Yeah. Like you gotta it, realize it's the experience. It's, yeah. it's the experience. They always say you regret that you never regret the like, things you did. It's like you. There's you how many guys come up to you and go, well, it's they say the most diminishing, most disrespectful thing ever. Well, it's easy for you. Oh, yeah. You're this kind of guy or that or whatever, right? And it's like, you know, but you look at, it's like how you confront the experience. Like, it could also be, fuck, if I don't get signed this next year, my life falls apart. That, like, there, that's the thing that comes in, whether you're an athlete or whatever you're doing. Like, that's the thing that on these things when there's an expiration point to whatever it is that you're doing because your body is not going to hold up or whatever the thing is, what if I get hurt? What If you obsess on that stuff, that's a horrible way to walk through the day. And if you got a lot of days like that, your life sucks then. But like, then you look at it another way and you go, well, here I am now. If I hadn't have gotten released or whatever at that time or hurt or whatever it is that your exit was, when it, like the, the thing is, there's more great stuff to happen. That thing of scarcity of like, this is the only good thing happening. Ever. It's like, no, no, maybe it gets better and forever well, but it, it, it isn't really go back to like uh, uh you know people really and we, we talked about you know earlier uh you know people govern their lives on fear and i think like everything is fear-based like i'm not going to do this because of this or this or this i mean everybody lives within this kind of bubble of fear instead of being like hey you know what i'm going to pack up my fucking car i'm going to make this fucking adventure i'm going to go here i'm going to do here and i'm not going to be fearful of what happens and at the end of the day like don't be a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, like, like, I mean, that's like, like people like ask me like, Oh, what's it like having kids and being a dad and all that? I'm like, just don't be a piece of shit. Like, like Dude, that's be good I'm... to your wife, be good to your kids. Like fucking come to work. Like don't fuck people over. Just like, don't be a piece of shit. And I think like people like when you say it to them like that, they're like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, man. Like, like most of the people that are fucked up in this world, like if you talk to them and you know, like have these negative relationships because their parents were either didn't have the ability to like, weren't mature enough to realize like, Hey, this might be fucking up my kid. Right. Or, or were so selfish that they couldn't fucking get out of their own yeah. ways. Yeah. But like at some point you're like, Hey, you know what? Like I want my kids to fucking grow up, uh, fucking happy, healthy. I want them to have a great environment. Uh, if anybody fucking hurts them, I'm going to fucking, I got no problem fucking, you know, fixing that problem. I think they do a thing like they, they self regulate you in a way. I would, I would think like, like I noticed the other, like I had dinner with Olivia last week and, and, um, I won't, it's like, I, didn't swear and everybody that swore I became hypersensitive <laughs> and I'm not a guy that is like that that I don't want in my life like that I've never ever well, fucking thought of that it's, ever before it's, uh, ever, right? it, it's a parental um, like defense mechanism where instantly I become like it, it's kind of switched up like and I uh, like just an example one one of my good buddies uh, who's a former pagan he was at a, a deal and there were uh, he had been out for years and he like saw some dudes that were uh, HA guys rolling up on him and they like kind of recognized them as like kind of a deal. And he was like standing there and he's like, he was with his son and he's like, honestly, he's like, if these guys come near me, I would put uh, you know, a, a fucking screwdriver through this guy. And he's yeah. like, you know, he goes, I don't give a shit about me, but he's like, you know, and uh, you know, and, and we, we do it too. You go out with your kids and all of a sudden you become this like Dude. instant deal being like, if anybody here moves too fast, I'm going to fucking it's slip crazy. out. crazy. I had a thing swell up in me. Like I was like, we were at a coffee shop and, because Olivia hadn't really driven, and, and I was like, well, do you have a learner's permit or what? Like, you're 19. Like, let's fucking make this happen. And, and she goes, yeah, I've got a driver's permit. Uh, uh, she's like, I just nobody let me drive the car. I'm like, I just put it in park, and I got out, and I walked. I was like, you're driving. Let's take me to the coffee shop. And uh, 
and we go when you know, we get there and, and some dude comes up and he, he looks at her waiting for coffee and and it wasn't even horrible or anything but it's just some fucking big sketchy son of a bitch and i'm like oh fucking really? <laughs> I, I didn't do you know this I didn't grow this beard on accident. So this is crazy. a disguise. I'm, just thinking, I'm thinking like, shoot right through this neck. <laughs> like, and I was, and I, and I shot myself and how I felt about it. I was like, that's pretty odd. Like, because yeah. I never, I never had, I'd had a lot of different rages, angers, ideas, thoughts of violence. It's never been the violence that bothered me, but it's, um, I never felt like that before where I was like, Oh no, and that'll happen. I'm 100% sure. Like, you're fucked. But I'm, yeah. but, but I'm gonna have to drag him outside because I don't want my daughter so to see crazy, this. It's like the to... parental instinct. I mean, you think about like the genetic shit you're researching now. I mean, there's got to be some sort of element to that when well, it's, we're, we're it's all primal in that for that sure. Sense. It's pretty interesting. Uh, within like three, I think it's three minutes, uh, a baby will be able to recognize the mother. Like, so, like, as soon as the baby's born, they like give it to the mom. And I remember my wife, like, uh, they, she had a C-section. She was, like, hysterical that, like, that, like, when the baby's there, she's like, if, if I'm something happens, you have to hold on. You have to promise me this thing. And I was like, don't worry. I think it's going to be fine, you know. But, like, all of a sudden, the dude, like, slices your wife open and, like, reaches his whole arm and starts yanking these kids out. And you're like, fuck, this is fucking mutual of Omaha, dude. This is crazy. And, um, but, like, that kind of deal, like, that kind of imprinting, like, there's, and it, it, it's a weird deal. Like, I, I always think, like, you look at your kids and you can see, like you, the mom, everybody in there, like there's certain traits within them that like, and it, it's totally like, I can identify my kids specific to different traits that they have that I, I know within my family. And do you think that's some like, uh, you know, Craig Bueller shit when he was talking about there's more than the five senses and well, more... Dr. Bueller has like 16 senses. So yeah. we, we have a, a good friend of mine, this guy, Craig Bueller is, um, uh, he has a deal called Amit, uh, activation muscle integrated technique. And, uh, he's, uh, He's up in Salt Lake City. He's a uh, witch doctor. Yeah, it's like he's, the he's, closest he's, thing he's, I've ever he's, seen. He's, he's the closest you're ever going to meet to a witch doctor. So he's the guy when, like, doctors fail, everybody fails, and nobody can fix you in terms of injury. You go see Craig Bueller, and, like, the Dr. Bueller will fix you. And, like, so, like, at my darkest moment, so when I retired from the NFL, the reason I retired, it was an injury, but it wasn't, uh, like, it wasn't acute injury. It was like a chronic, like my body stopped working on me and I could no longer do my job. So like I, I hurt my knee, I chip off a piece of bone. And uh, like, it was because like every muscle in my body was just shut the fuck down. Like 10 years of abuse. I didn't know how to fix it. And I was right. fucked. So I come home, cross it, asked me to do this thing. And I was like mentally fine, but my body just literally, I couldn't get it to do the things I used to be able to do. I used to be able to run and move. And instantly now I'm like trapped in this like broken body. And I, um, called up a good friend of ours, Tom Anquadon. I'm like, doc, I'm like, something's fucking wrong with me. Like, I just like, like things like, you know, trying to grab this, like, just, like, I can't, like, something's wrong, like neurologically or physically, something's just not wired up. And he's like, man, um, you know, there's only one guy that I know that uh, is like the last ditch effort. And we got to go see him. So I'm like, well, where do we go? He said, we got to go to Utah. So he meets me on a plane. We go to uh, Caseville, Utah, outside of Salt Lake City. And we show up at this guy's like little clinic, like it's fucking a strip mall. And I'm like, where the fuck are we going? Crazy. And he's like, just trust me. So we go in, it's like after hours and he's like, you know, full deal. We come in, he starts uh, working on me and he starts putting me in different positions. And like, he was like, okay, I'm going to test your bicep. And he's like here. And like, he would like be holding one finger. He's like, resist me. And I couldn't resist him. Right. And so he was like, hmm. All right. So I'm laying there and he goes, yeah, it kind of rolls over my neck and he kind of hit me here. And instantly as if the lights went on. 
so my atlas was out was the biggest one and so my, it was like everything was dark and he hits me and all of a sudden the lights come on i'm like oh shit, is he feeling better i'm like yeah he's like okay let's start so for three days he worked on me and what's the atlas uh the atlas is a little uh, bone on top of your cervical spine that like okay. your head kind of pivots on. Yeah. Okay. So he, he ends up fixing that. And then he, and then he, uh, he basically tested me for, uh, did muscle testing and found with 160 muscles he tested, I think like over 120 of them were shut down and not working. And so he started rebalancing me, getting me to work. And I literally got off the table three days later and I like walked outside and I was like, I could run through that fucking car. I could jump over it and, um, went back and like started training. And then over the course of three years, I go back and see him and we got to the end of the journey. And it was like, it, it was like, I regained myself in this and, um, every, and I go see him a couple times a year, but I'll walk in and like, you know, uh, uh, like Olympic athletes, people travel from all over the world. He was in doc, in uh, Tim Ferriss's book, uh, the four hour body, they call him uh -huh. Dr. Two fingers. He is, um, but as I've spent, you know, fucking hours upon hours upon hours so cool. with, with Dr. Bueller. Um, and I, I brought Luke to see him, but, uh, you know, he's like, you know, most people have five senses and Dr. Bueller's like, I actually have probably 10 or 12 and that he can, uh, sense like kind of auras. I mean, it's pretty like, you, you gotta believe in that stuff. And I really don't believe in that shit, but seeing what Dr. Bueller had done, had done for me and sure. being around him was night and day. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I had gone up and seen him and I showed him pictures of my daughters and he, he's got like six, eight kids. He's a Mormon and has a bunch of kids. And he like looks at a picture of my daughter and he's like, uh, what's up with the, with the blonde one? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, How, is she eating? Okay. How is she? And I'm like, uh, she's actually uh, cries a lot. She's real colicky. And he's like, uh, something's wrong with her. I'm like, what do you mean? Do you tell off the pictures? I can see like, Take it easy doc. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so she, she was, uh, she was two months old and, um, and uh, she had been crying and had some problems and was kind of colicky and wasn't eating. It was just real angry. Like send over the kid. And, uh, I fly home, get my wife, fly back and we bring in my wife and the kids and he like you know i mean you got to really trust somebody to have for them to like work on your two your two month old baby so he brings it in he goes uh her neck is out so she was a twin and was stuck up high and her neck was kind of twerked so her shoulders were like this because her neck was in so much pain Fucking she was crazy. Doing, she was doing this so doc bueller sets her down is like okay i want you to hold her waist and he literally kind of like pulled her head and kind of like adjusted her like this and all of a sudden it kind of went boom and her shoulders dropped and literally he stood her up or sat her up and she like stood up and all of a sudden she was like three inches taller because her neck had been so jammed here she that she was that like way. this. What if she'd say that way? And so Doc Bueller based off of the picture and he, he's like, dude, we've adjusted our kids. I do everybody for the church. And he's like, she just got her neck jammed up. And that baby went from being like a colicky, oh, crying baby. If I lived and like within like two hours, I would see him every day. He'd, I'd be like this and be like, come on in. How crazy is your wife that she's like, all right, John, we'll do it. I'm going to take my children to my what wife, you describe as a witch doctor. <laughs> my wife, uh, like I said, my so wife is true. one of the most amazing people. Great wife, lady right there. Incredible wife. Uh, she is uh, like, uh, like, for sure, she had a pistol in her back. She's like, all right, we'll see. No, 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 she's cool. Because, I mean, she, she was with me at like my darkest moment. And she watched the change that Dr. Bueller really helped me. Do. So she's like, knows about it. And then, um, you know, but like from like the food and the training stuff, she's hilarious on things. She's like, I just trust you on all that. She's like, you geek out on that shit and I trust you on it. That's why I married you. So like all like the training, the food or anything, like anything that has to do with it. She's like, she's like, I either know that you know it or you can make a phone call to the world's expert to talk yeah. about it. So funny, dude, I went, I had to do a re-up on the, uh, 
on the certification for CrossFit because oh, yeah. I'm an affiliate owner or whatever. And um, so whatever. And and um, there's a dude there that was one of the guys and the nutrition thing comes up. And I'm like, you guys are still slinging zone <laughs> over here. You guys still on that? Like, and they must have a deal or no, something. Wait. I don't know what so, goes on. But then so I go, we know that that's not really the best and people talk about that there's like holes in that there's all kinds of reasons why there's a bunch of other options that are either equally good or better with better food choices that the zone doesn't really talk about a lot and then dude is like well married to the fittest girl in the world though and uh she changed her zone diet and then it dialed her in and she won the crossfit games like well i guess you can't argue with that like you got the lips in and and so he got the right he got the right Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't. You, it's that's not the right, right guy to give this talk because you can't really argue with well, the fittest well, girl mean, in the world. At, at the end of the day, is, 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 is she the fittest girl because she's eating the zone diet? I mean, that talk is the talk on that day. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I mean, like, is the magic is the magicing or the magically balancing uh, of macronutrients going to like somehow protect you from something? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think at the end of the day. Uh, regardless of, you know, and, and we're, we're fighting this fight right now because uh, the zone was all based on this, like, Hey, like here's my macronutrient day ratios. Right. If it, if, if I can, uh, it doesn't matter what I eat as long as I can zone proportion out and I can stay in the zone. Right. So we, when that was first presented to me and I remember being talked about the zone uh, to me, nothing trumps food quality that, you know, if you eat good food, it will always lead to better, to better gains. And I watch guys that ate food quality. I watch guys that didn't. And the, the difference for most of the NFL players was nothing because right. I played with guys that could eat Coke, Cheetos, and fucking chicken nuggets and be 4% and still run fast. Yeah, what's his name with all the gold medals from the Olympics? But, yeah, the Oaks. swimmer. Yeah. And he, it's like he doesn't eat really great quality food, and he's the most winning athlete in the world. Well, if you also look at him, he's like 6'8", and he's got about a 30-inch uh, uh, inseam, and he's got size 18 feet. I mean, the guy's built for the water. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, so I thought we fought that fight, and then, like, it kind of came back now with this, like, if it fits your macros deal. Yeah. Where That's people so are, like, the, the flexible dieting. It's a bunch of fat girls that are like, yeah, I just don't have discipline. Well, yeah, and, and it's like, <laughs> basically, right? I get the idea of like balance and that it's like, well, you can eat these foods if it fits within your macros so that you don't really have a cheat meal on this. And like, I kind of get it. But at the end of the day, like, grow the fuck up. Take yeah. a stand. Like, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and own it. If you're going to go out and you're like, hey, you know what? I want to eat a piece of fucking shake. Uh, get out it. Get it. Fucking eat yeah. it and get back to the gym. I don't need you to fucking magically balance my macros. Justify it. And, and, and at the end of the day, um, and at the end of the day, all those people that do that shit are 23 years old. Well, see me at 35, fatty. Well, well, <laughs> well, then you know my comment to Dave Lipson would have been like, "So did Camille not eat the zone this year? Because she didn't win." Ooh. That would have been my question if he had been like, "Well, married to the fittest one." Well, that was last year, but what about this year? So, are you saying she didn't eat the zone, or what did she do? Like, like to me, right. uh, people that fucking pull out that Trump card to it's me is like correlation is not causation. It's a exactly. huge bat. It's it, a well, huge and, bat. And it's like. It, it's like so. So you're but saying that true. before she she was doing good when she made the game, right. she wasn't eating it. Now all of a sudden, this one tweak is what she made that you felt made the difference, or you just standing there because you're teaching it. And like uh, you know, Barry Sears gave a uh, a talk that actually my buddy Tom Inkledon. He's was still at. alive. Barry Sears is yeah. okay. Yeah. So he he uh, he gave a talk my buddy Tom Inkledon was at, and uh, Doc Inkledon's one of the smartest dudes on the planet in terms of this stuff. I mean, he's drug or uh, uh, blood tested, uh, like 
every professional athlete you've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the the guy for blood testing performance and all that out in Arizona. And uh, he was at a conference with Barry Sears, and Barry Sears was getting up and talking about the zone. And he said uh, he lost it when Barry was like, you can take spray butter and put it on a Pop-Tart and still stay in the zone. And at that point, Tom right. fucking raised his hand and was like, all right, let's get into this shit. And right. fucking torched him. And it's like, so you're basically telling me that, you know, ingesting these chemicals that, you know, went through all the fucking, you know, basically the chemicals is going to keep this at a performance base. And he's like, it's bullshit. And Tom has blood work on all of these athletes that basically knows that food quality will always fucking trump right. the fucking magically balancing. Now, what do you think about, like, when you talk about milk, uh, what do you think about inflammation with milk and that being a, a cause of that? And, and how much does that then negate? You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be a balance in there, right? Yeah. Well, so, so are you on the wellness or performance so, like, think about like this. Uh, inflammation with milk. Now, a certain part of the population genetically is not going to have the uh, the atelase to basically absorb and uh, process milk. So okay. those people are no lactose intolerant. If you're lactose intolerant, you consume lactose and sugar. You can't digest a massive inflammation. There was a genetic mutation X amount of years ago, and like when we got our genetic stuff done, we have you know Luke and all uh, all of us, most northern white people, have the mutation to process lactose. So if you can process lactose and you're consuming dairy there really shouldn't be massive amounts of inflammation unless you're talking about inflammation from, from blood sugar spiking with insulin going high, which can cause inflammation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, acute inflammation isn't bad. It's recovery, but, you know, cortisol, but you're looking chronic over amount of time. Um, Vince Garanda had his Stone Age diet, which was a precursor to the paleo, which was Arnold and all those guys ate back in the 50s, Vince Garanda being a, uh, uh, the old trainer that a lot of those guys worked at, at uh, uh, Vince's gym. His diet was, uh, you know, basically a paleo diet with copious amounts of raw milk because raw no, milk I've having been drinking raw goat milk. Yeah, so it's great, great for gut health. Incre- increases gut biota, like makes for a, uh, a much healthier uh, gut environment, and increases that. So I think a lot of the problems becomes with milk is uh, either people aren't uh, really designed to do it, or it's so overly processed, homogenized, and a lot of the other problems. The so, or you're um, already metabolically deranged. Or you're where metabolically it's deranged. It's like you need to and, first. You need to hit that yeah. that neutral, healthy state, right. and dairy shouldn't bother it's not, you. It's not, it's, not, it's not what you should do if you're trying to get in shape. You yeah. shouldn't start there. If you're already an athlete that's like plateaued yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit, maybe that's the thing. For so, you uh, but I mean, I I personally um, like don't really drink a lot of milk. Uh, like we have some cheese and stuff and like, uh, my, when my, when my daughter's, uh, my one daughter's really allergic to cow milk. So we fed them goat kefir and they fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they got to be about a year and a half and my wife just didn't, they were out of it one day right. and they didn't notice. And I said, I was like, well, don't buy it anymore. And my daughters have never asked for it. They don't really care for it. What do you think the difference with when you go raw or regular milk, is there a big variant difference in, um, in the result? Yes. Huge. Fucking mm-hmm. huge. Uh, the difference that we've seen in people that are drinking uh, raw, unpasteurized milk is dramatically, I, I mean, like, are, are, are you going to make gains get bigger and stronger from drinking milk? Because, I mean, really, what is milk? It's filtered blood. So it's actually the sustenance that a mother mammal produces to feed her baby mammal. And it's packed full of, what's that? To grow. And oh, yeah, anabol- to grow. And to I mean, it's, it's fucking the most highly anabolic substance. So my little girls were born. They were like five pounds and six pounds. And then they like got down to like five pounds and four pounds. And my wife breastfed them. Phase. Well, yeah. They were, well, so so when when babies leave the hospital, started cutting early. So when when babies leave the hospital, because um, my wife breastfed, they have a tough time latching, and so they end up losing a little bit of weight. And then they get it. And my wife only breastfed them for six months. And I watched those kids in, in six months 
like triple in size. Like they went from like five pounds to like 15 pounds. And like, I remember thinking to myself, what the fuck is in there? And I realized I went like, I need those milk, save a little. (laughs) Yeah. I I researched milk and it's so anabolic and you know, fats, proteins, carbohydrates, all these things. And so, uh, you know, the other thing, which is interesting about cow milk in particular is we've chosen to drink the substance of a mother mammal. That's like born at like 180 pounds and reaches full maturity in three years at 800 to a thousand pounds which is like one of the fastest growing biggest mammals opposed from one of the slowest mammal growing mammal on the planet, which is us, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting when you look at like, you know, what we've done, but yeah, I think there's a, um, a huge difference in terms of, uh, there'll be a big strength gain. Those people that drink milk, um, will be bigger and stronger than people that don't you drink think milk. We'd get more gains if we drank mother's milk from humans than, uh, people were, no, no, people no. were trying it. Right? No, and no. Right? And, and, and I'll tell Seems you what, a little creepy to me. No, no. Yeah, and, a little and, bit and, weird. And, right? and, and I, I believe there's something genetic in us that prevents you from it because as a man, if you smell breast milk, it's not it'll fucking make you sick. And I think that's something ingrained in us. Isn't it because weird? Imagine you want caveman, to suck right? well, <laughs> But well, at that time when they're breastfeeding, you're like, I'm staying away from Well, yeah, because like, it's, it's a weird smell. Like uh, Kelly Starrett tells this great story about they had coffee and they were breastfeeding. And he was like, oh, he puts it oh. in, drinks it, <laughs> threw up. And he's like, man, he's like, but you got to think like in terms of evolutionary, like hungry ass caveman. Was sure. probably like fuck those kids. Dude. I'm gonna suck those things. So there had to be something that turned the stomach. Just listen to the thing about the Mongols and about Genghis Khan and and uh, you know the first real army to have like uh, warriors on horses and yeah. stuff and and like there were like it was like an army that traveled like eight or twelve to one animals to one yeah. human right and so they would travel three or four horses for each warrior yeah. and then they'd bring herds of sheep and shit or but they would cut little cuts in the neck put their cup under it, let that horse bleed in there, mix it with a little water, and that's how they would sustain themselves for a while. Well, they they also would slaughter the animals, and they would take, like, sides of meat, and they would put it on the back of the horse, and they'd cover it with a burlap sack or whatever they were riding. They would ride, and then the sweat would actually cure the meat, and then they would lift up the sack and cut it off. But, I mean, the world's best horse warriors, um, there's a super – I I can pull it up for you. But they went back, and they were able to find, like, the – what is it, like, the the Y chromosome directly relieving the Genghis Khan, which is only passed from, like, father to son, father to son, father to son. In that – it was, like, 10%. Yeah. Like, he fathered, like – he and his brothers fathered, like, hundreds of thousands of children. 50 million people they killed. Yeah. 50 million. Oh yeah, I mean that's where the Conan comes from. Well, they like, said it was know, what's great, best in this world yeah. to hear, you know, the wind in your hair, to hear the laminates of the women and the yeah. children, and fucking kill your enemies. Yeah, every kid, if they were higher than the turnstile on a wagon, cut their heads off. They're too old to change into our ways, and so they just killed everybody. It's crazy. It's crazy. But they said also some of the most, uh, the the best living that was possible, but it was just unforgiving. Like if 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 your guys, if there's ten of us and three of us get captured. And the rest of us don't go in to save, even no matter what the odds, we all get killed. If if three of us run away and retreat and the other don't, and these guys get caught, not only they get killed, but we all get killed too. Everybody, like, no matter what, it's everybody. Dies. I go, you go. Yeah. Fucking, it is, it's, it's rad. So, like, you think of what that instills, it's like a ferocity. Like, you get captured and you're like, well, there's fucking 64 of them and there's just the three of us. And it's like... You go in with a barbarism that is unknown to anybody else except in that situation because you're dead anyway. Yeah. That's a freedom to fight in that. That's mm-hmm. crazy. 
I was thinking about the energies, the doctor, like, so what's, what's the other six or 10 energies that he's got? Uh, his deal was, um, uh, you know what, if you ever want to go see this dude, I'll go out and see I'd him. love to. Yeah. He's, yeah. I was well, thinking that I mean, when you're we talking about the baby. You're thinking about hitting him up yeah, in the next few months. We're, yeah. We're, we're going to go out and visit him. I'd love him. to go. Yeah. Um, uh, it'd be great, man. If these guys want to do this TV show on me, we'll take, can't, we'll do, we'll film all. That'd be a rad. Dude, uh, Dr. Bueller is, um, he's one of these dudes that, uh, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like, um, uh, <clears throat> like yeah he, he's so he the way the way this whole thing was brought up is he was doing some tests on john and like the way it would work is he'd have he'd have you he'd have you resist very little force and you usually you he would just move john around like a ragdoll and then he would work on uh through his two like i can't even do it justice of explaining it but he it would be neural uh, muscular. So what he's able to do skeletal. Is, is, is that due to injuries, muscles uh, get blocked and they won't fire. And so, like from a cellular level, it's kind of interesting that, like, for a muscle to fire, it has to be like some chemical reactions. Mm -hmm. And so, for whatever reason, the body inhibits. So he's able to through different muscle testing basically be able to figure out which muscles what combination to get and, it. And then he has a fire. he has a deal called Amit, which is like a whole system on this. Mm -hmm. And then based on that uh, deal, he's able to clear the muscle through different pressure points using like acupuncture, some chiropractic, and kind of a different tool. And it was created by a guy, Dr. Beardall. Uh, Beardall. And Dr. Beardall was another you know kind of interesting guy, and in that he had uh, you know some um, more kind of available, I guess you could say, census and developed this whole practice. And then Bueller, uh, Dr. Bertel actually got killed in a car accident in, in the UK. His wife was driving and went on the wrong side of the road. And then, and then Dr. Bueller has taken over and like kind of like expanded this thing. And uh, Dr. Bueller is um, uh, like literally uh, the happiest I am is when I get to go see him. And like he literally, I, I walk out of there. And if I had met Dr. Bueller earlier in my NFL career, I could have played fucking forever. He was at, at one point, um, he worked for the Utah Jazz, uh, mm -hmm. John Stockton and Carl Malone. He was their personal guy and they paid him out of their own pocket. He traveled with the team and you know, these uh, guys played into their forties. It was because of Mueller working. Yeah, on and them. he could take them with a sprained ankle and put them back in like Within a, minutes. A, a severe sprain and put them in in minutes. And it, I guess just wanted to circle back because this, this is how he got onto this is he cleared the pathways. Right. He's like, and it didn't heal it. He was like, wait a minute. He's like, he's like, asked John about what he was eating. And we were eating a bunch of red meat or something like that. Or red, like, and what he ended up doing is he had John. Um, he, he used some AK, which is applied kinesiology, which is considered witch doctory. But Dr. Bueller is pretty interesting. He knows that if certain muscles won't, uh, won't clear, then there's some environmental issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was like, hey, um, you know, uh, you know, you're having some problems with this. And he's like, I know that this, this body part is tied to this. And it's all based on the kind of the acupuncture deal. And um, he ended up, you know, literally giving me some supplements, putting them in my mouth. He's like, well, he didn't even them. put them in your mouth. He literally held them over you. Oh, that's right. That's right. And it fucking worked. What? He dude? just fucking held them over John. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm out. Yeah. Like, no, it's, like it's, all this it's, stuff was hokey it's, until it's, that it, point. It's a little dude, hokey. I'm getting fucking goosebumps. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, uh, like, I went into it and I, I don't believe in any of that shit. And, uh, but at your darkest moment, you will fucking like be open to just about anything. Sure. And so like Doc Bueller ended up fixing me and um, it was the type of thing where like, I'll come in and like, you know, and he, he like, I, I probably should go back and see him here pretty soon. But uh, 
like I now know when something's happening to me. Like uh, we were squatting the other day and my left hip was hurting because I wasn't able to drive my knee out the way. So I was kind of leaning into it. And all of a sudden I couldn't get my quad to fire. And it's like, you know, and when I talked to Bueller, I'm like, well, this just happened. He goes, you know, when you had as much mileage as you had, he goes, shit breaks. He goes, if you brought in like a perfect young person and I was able to work on them and fight these things because you have so much, uh, you know, that we have to work with. Wow, city miles. <laughs> but he, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, just pretty amazing, like mm-hmm. watching the work he's done. Amazing. But, um, you know, and he's, I, I've sent dozens of people to him. I mean, from all over the world and like, he's one of those people that can cure it. But uh, I, I had a terrible deal where um, I woke up one morning and my neck, I was in so much pain in my neck. Like years ago, I took a pretty severe hit and popped out one of the discs and they had to re pop it in. But I woke up one night, one morning and I was like, oh, like I said, best shooting pain. Um, I like took a bunch of painkillers, didn't do it. And I called Doc Bueller and I was like, Bueller, I got to come see you. I could jump on a plane. And lately I'm like driving from the airport to his place. And he had a bunch of students in town for like a convention. They were kind of doing a deal. So they, they needed somebody, they brought me in within five minutes it was all gone and but i still had all this residual nerve pain and like they did some pretty interesting stuff for it and literally i was fine i mean it was the type of stuff cool where like clinic. uh what's that it's cool he has a, that he's passing well, and, and, and he, he works with people it's with amazing. doctors but the thing is is they have to develop like a little bit of like you awareness know, or something awareness yeah he, he just has kind of a different perception awareness and, and i asked him once i was like um you know can you sense like, uh, cause he was talking about like, um, you know, some people like, you know, diminished life force and kind of these other things. And I was like, well, can you tell if somebody's sick? He's like, I, I can sense people kind of like this. And I'm like, can you sense good and bad? He's like, I've had people walk in here. And as I put them on the table, I ask them one question. I've had them get up and leave because I knew they weren't like mm-hmm. uh, that. They were, that there was some, something wrong with them beyond what, what we would normally. And he know. related it to like, if you've ever been in a situation uh, or you met a stranger and you're just like, you kind of get the chills or like, you don't get a good vibe on that. And it's not, it's not like instinctive how to respond to it, but you know, yeah. it's just like, he's like, I have that, but I, I, understand what these sensations yeah. are i can i can interpret it into like uh, a thought or an idea and we just kind of are like you know something's a little off about right. this guy yeah the the brothers i used to play with were funny they would always blame that like the guy they would be like oh man like the guy can't play a bit why he's like his curls just are wrong his curls just not tight like it was i was telling these guys a joke that like there was a dude and i was like hey, why, you know what's up that guy's all right they're like no i can't play i'm like why they're like his curls wrong I'm like, it's curl. I'm like, yeah, it's curl. His curl just doesn't curl right. And then and sure like, enough. And like, sure enough. And they, and they, they were like, man. And like, so that was the joke of it. Like, how was this curl? And I'm like, uh, wasn't good. That's you funny, know? man. So, I mean, like, it's, it's just. It's intuition. It's yeah, like, it, it's, it's, it's a, intuition. It's an intuition that you're not willing to supplant with, like, social niceties. Where they're like, where you're like, well, I must be wrong because he's with John. And so he's probably a cool guy. Like, yeah. Instead, he, know, he knows a deeper sense of that. That's what I was thinking when you were describing, like, you know your child being put in your into your wife's arms exactly like the knowledge of that is is probably not just the smell it's certainly not the sight it's like there's probably a feel when she gets in a certain energy path that's within whatever proximity to that body like oh this is where i've been this is so much shit we don't know we don't know and that's why when they try to when they when they try to mimic mother's milk and they're like we got formula now it's better than mother's milk it's like You're not taking into account all that you don't know. The macronutrients are there, but enzymatically, there's so much more going on that's so, like uh, environmental we, and everything else. A, it's like crazy. We, we just had a podcast with a guy named Kenneth Ford the other day, 
and Dr. Ford is uh, uh, one of the advisors from NASA and pretty much he's a, one like of the a, smartest dudes yeah. on the planet. Like he is like one of like the foremost experts in the world. And like, does it take uh, you want to the moon? Uh, <laughs> artificial intelligence. Like this dude's fucking smart. And so uh, he's got kind of put together with Naval Special Warfare and was helping them develop the diet stuff to help them with their rebreathers so that these guys could go and they actually figure out that like ketogenic diets cure um, seizures. And so they started creating ketone esters and salts and put these guys in ketogenic states so that these guys didn't have seizures. But then they saw their performance go through. They were smarter, more basically creating super soldiers using ketogenic diets. Now, when are they going to change the MREs to... That's kind of what they're talking about. That's basically... So that's what he was talking about. And they talked about like traumatic brain injury, TBIs, that if um, you were to give somebody like ketone salts and they'll basically get their ketones higher, that their brain is not as likely an environment for brain injury and do you know why else with that too is a ketogenic diet will spur on uh, uh dopamine production and dopamine is what gets inhibited a lot of times yep. with tbi yep. and then you get depressed and then you're thinking things that aren't well, really you he was talking about like all all shit, dosage, also dude. it raises igf1 growth hormone all this shit and then after <sighs> product drain injury they give them doses of ketones it helps them and he's like, the single worst thing you can do is give somebody sh- something sugary after traumatic brain injury because it basically kills them. Crazy. Which is like giving Gatorade <laughs> to NFL Damn. players. Yeah. Right? All so, day long. All day play, long. And so we, we were rapping with him. And, uh, you know, <sighs> he's sitting there talking about, like, you know, performance. And I honestly, I don't even know where the fuck I was going. Well, with it this. was it was the synergistic genetic oh. relationship oh, 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 between oh, oh, gut biota. Yeah. And so, your so genes, he, uh, and, and, and so if, um, uh, so he, he was talking about that everybody, like, so there's three to four pounds of, of, uh, gut bacteria, of gut bacteria in each person. And that, that gut bacteria is custom designed for you as you end, as you go through the uh, birth canal through natural childbirth. So as it goes through, that's your first exposure to bacteria and your mother custom designs you your own gut bacteria. That's as you integrated go genetically. genetically into you. Never thanked her for that. So <laughs> no both, both my girls were uh, C-section because they were both breached. Right. So then he was like, "Well, their first exposure is uh, through the skin, through all these other the things. doctors' gloves, and that's why my thing. wife was so obsessed about like fucking uh, breast milk because that's their like that's how they get all the yeah, immunities yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. So she was like, "We got to do it." And um, you know, there's like that kind of situation. It's the best way. There's no yeah. other way to do it. If you can, you've got to breastfeed your kids. So, so then when I came home and I told uh, uh, my wife what Doc Ford said, and I'm like, "You want to get a kid the best opportunity? Probably not going to be a C-section." She's like, "Fuck, it's going to be painful." <laughs> but I mean, that's how babies have been born. I mean, you they want can to think remake about... that pussy too. They can. I mean, they can, they can they, stitch it back up. They got they got science on all that. <laughs> 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 Dude, I feel like we could sit here and talk I for like eight fucking hours. We were talking talk for what, three hours? Two hours. What, what, no, what, close what, to what, two and a half hours. In, so Joe Rogan, deep. Yeah, it's nice, man. What brought right. you here? The only difference is uh, Rogan's usually silent. really high. A lot of times, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to it the other day, and he was, he's got some broad on there who was like really a fast, fast talker. And I was like, God damn, I was like, it's catching. Joe's really talking fast too right now. And then uh, I looked and I had it at one and a half times play. <laughs> <laughs> or you don't know how to work in a thing, Tate. That yeah. Also. So no, that's true. the thing. What do you think too about like uh, there's there's this thing like right now I feel like there's a, a fight like almost as, as dumb as it is between like science and God or whatever and the, the one displaces the other or whatever like like here's things that we don't understand at all and we're pretending we understand. But like the idea of like, you know, people either go to intellectual course in life or a physical course in life. And, and I think that's a muted de- – deficient person if you're one-sided on 
either end of that, I think you're an asshole, kind of. Well, there, there's always, I think, this idea that, um, uh, you know, if you're a scientist and like all these different things, like prove, you know, all these guys like don't believe in anything. I, I think what what is interesting, at least from everything I've ever read and some of the smarter people I've ever talked to, is that this thing isn't an accident, and that they're like whether you call it God or there's some grand architect. Sure. Because like like uh, the the one that always tripped me out was like the Fibonacci sequence and like sure. just some of these things that like like there's no fucking way this shit just randomly happens that like oh that all of a sudden this fits in. I mean, there's a book that we have over there which is pretty fascinating. This lady made the claim that um, beauty is based on symmetry on the face, and there was a doctor, uh, Doctor Marquez, who was a plastic surgeon who went back and he devised these things called the Marquez masks that were based on symmetry of the Fibonacci sequence on the face. And so he could basically put like a, uh, plot lines and basically put this mask on your face and see where your face lacks symmetry. And then he goes through and shows every beautiful person that we've ever, you would generally assume is beautiful. And the Fibonacci sequence of these Marquez masks fits perfectly on their face. So our eye knows symmetry and we know symmetry to be beauty. And then this guy was a plastic surgeon, so he could go back and make corrections in people's faces to make them more beautiful was the idea. And like, I might like a bitch with a gap tooth though. I, I, don't know. I read <laughs> as that long shit. as it's symmetrical gap. I, I read that and I was like, fuck. I mean, like, there's so much um, symmetry, like, like just symmetry, and there, there's so much information. There's like, balance and well, the macro there, 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 but, but like, I think it's like the fucking matrix. Like all of a sudden, you remember they find the dude who was like the architect, sure, and, and he's like a white dude in a room, and he's like, "Yes, Neil, I'm the architect." Like I fucking think that there's an architect. You ever read about like the uh, simulation theory? Like they studied at MIT and yeah. shit like that, right? String theory. One of my friends is into simulation. Oh, simulation theory. The idea that this is all a simulation game, like SimCity or something like that. Oh. And then like some super advanced society is just this is when you get deja vu. That's a little glitch in the matrix. Like, oh, I, I. And all and like I'm like anything could be true. I don't know anything. Is yeah. all I know. Like that's that's the thing is like I nothing would surprise me. I mean that's why I say like Scientology. Like I think it's all kind of silliness. Like mm-hmm. all that shit. Catholicism, like all of it's crazy. Like you know, we 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 got the thing that's the most popular now. I guess like worldwide, maybe Islam is the most popular, but like like Christianity is right up there. It's like regularly priests fuck kids. Like if you if you were to ask, hey, what's the weird proclivity of a race car driver? You couldn't really say anything. I don't know. They drink beer. I don't know. Like what it is. Like but if you go, what is it of a priest? You're like everybody knows they nail kids and they hide it. Yeah, and and that's the weirdest thing ever. Uh, in, I know, in I, but I'm saying it's all crazy. Anytime you have repression, so, you're pretending you know, you're inauthentic, go fuck yourself with all that shit. That shit is broken. Yeah. That's a broken thing. And me pretending that I know the greatest mystery of all. Well, that's what How basically fucking kind of pulled me, like, and basically my mom, too. My mom, uh, that's why we basically kind of, like, have, you know, don't really practice Catholicism, yeah. is all of that shit came out where those priests were hurting children. Yeah. And instead of Fucking taking ownership and being like, these guys are fucking around. Like, we got to fucking put them in. And, and you, you know what they would do? By they would all of a sudden transfer them to different parishes, yeah. bury, bury, pay and people. You know what? You know what instead of fucking like, in, instead of helping people and fucking protecting them from a bunch of sick fuckers yeah. that are hiding within the fucking clergy and basically pushing these people they would out send to the their fucking kids world. back to the same place with them. They're like, well, it'll be okay this time. Trying to get back, right? Well, you're white. Like, like, I would do that. Like my kid was like, Michael Jackson wanted to sleep over. I'd be like. You're gonna take one for the team. We're gonna get rich off this one, kid. It's gonna be a bad weekend, man. But like, and you know what? Like that point to me is, I was like, you know what? Uh, and I, I remember I was in, I was in high school, and we were at, uh, we went.
went to, uh, to mass and we were sitting there and there was a visiting father who was like this like super fat dude that looked like super hypertension. Like he was so like fat yeah. to squeeze into this black outfit. And he had this like fake fucking red hair <laughs> and this like beet red face. And I remember looking at my mom and I'm like, that's one of those fucking guys that fucking sicko. Yeah. And my mom's like, we can't come back. To this I don't place. want my okay, spiritual leaders to be out of shape either. I don't want no. any, I like, I, all of a sudden your word is suspect to me. I'm like, you can't even control, you don't have a learner's permit for this thing. And you're going to yeah. tell them, you know, some secrets. Mm, I'm suspicious. Well, it's like somebody that's like, uh, you know, like, uh, the fat fitness guru, right. Or the guy that's like over there and you're like, hmm, I, I thought that about Al Gore when he came out and he's like, yeah, there's all this stuff about, you know, global warming and all that made some really cogent arguments. Like, uh, almost you can't deny any of that stuff i believe i'm like i'm sure like we for sure affect the global climate here and whatever whatever but i'm like you're completely unbelievable because you're 300 pounds like you got a huge he was fat as shit when he did that when he did that documentary that he put out about about global uh, warming. Uh, what was it called the uh, inconvenient truth inconvenient truth and i'm like you've made yourself like i can't believe you now Mm-hmm. Which is really a prejudice, isn't it? That's horrible. That's shame on you. Me. I, I, and shame on you. If you're going to let your shit go that much, shame, get your shit together. That's got to hurt well, your That's it, a mental problem. I think it makes it harder, perhaps. Not I'm over here trying to not be fucking 300 pounds, <laughs> bastard. Right. If I can try, you can try. Tata, well, you're a big dude. I'm sure you can be 300. I mean, I'm, oh, but not not healthy. I wouldn't feel good. I'd have titties and shit. Dude, uh, not in a good way. In, uh, if, you know, if you were given a ballot for election, who would you vote for today? Right now, uh, Elon, I'd like Elon Musk. Elon Musk? <laughs> I want somebody smart as fuck. You know, I don't want these guys that are politicians. I'm like, because that was the thing too, like Reagan and all that. They were talking about global warming. They're talking about the Star Wars. Like, I don't know, you don't know this, but like, we had a thing in the 80s and we were going to stop Russia with their starving no, death. No, they no, no, rusted no. silos. So, so, no army. So, so dude, uh, uh, Ken Jowett. Uh, who was one of my Berkeley professors, was Reagan's advisor to Russia. And I took his class at Berkeley, and he gets up and he gives a speech about they are trying to figure out how they're going to beat the Russians because, you know, we're in this arms race. And somebody was like, well, why don't we bankrupt them? And they're like, well, how? And they come up with Star Wars, which is this idea that we're going to create a satellite network that has lasers that will shoot down things. So so, so they 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 come up with this idea. And then they fucking call in all these fucking smart people and they just start working on it, designing it. Then they fucking leak the secrets that they have this to all of these fucking KGB uh, spies that are in the CIA, different stuff. So they purposely leak it. All of a sudden, Russia here is like, oh, fuck, they got lasers. And they basically had bankrupted themselves. And that was the end of the Cold War, that it was this fucking grand fucking scheme. Came out a little bit right after Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. They're like, <laughs> I guess lasers are the thing now. Yeah, and, and it totally fucking worked. <laughs> no, the and, and, and Ken Jowick gets up and he gives this fucking talk. Dude, he gets up and gives this talk. And like, it, it, it was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, we fucking basically bankrupted the Russians based off of this star wars theory and like you know like we were lying about how many weapons we had they they were fucking arms they races. were broke before those people they're in bread lines they they yeah they were bereft they were done yeah. there's a great book merchants of doubt that goes into all that kind of fuckery which is rad mm-hmm. and it's like they're, they're the same scientists that were doing the star wars program before that their big push was that uh there's no correlation between cigarette smoking and cancer it's yeah. actually good for you yeah. uh what was the other thing they, they did they did that there was no global warming, that man doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, the fracking is cool, that there's no uh, adverse yeah. effects. Like, it's yeah, like that's it's every, whatever corporate fuckery is out there yeah, to rob the American public of dollars, 
through taxation and revenue is gone. And there's a group of scientists that are saying, yep, that's the shit. It's hmm. amazing. It's crazy shit, man. Oh, we, got, we do have to close this. it off. Yeah. Thank so, you, guys. You know it's eight. This will be our seven part. Yes. Yeah. For week seven. It's going to be awesome, man. With Tate Fletcher. Awesome. Beautiful. Oh, do you know what we did talk about? We got we got uh, coffee chugs and barbell shrugs here. I'm just cupping from. Dude, you know what we should water, do? But I don't have any coffee in it. So what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I over think you need well, power athlete. No, so well, what if we had a power athlete coffee blend that we could put in our Jura coffee maker, like a custom grind? That's that what it. we need, and that's what our people need. I love that. We can do that. Do you have a company? We that can do that at kbcoffee.com. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fucking yeah, do man. it. Then it's no, on. Let's do it quick though, because we like all this stuff. We I talk about a lot of stuff. People want to do stuff. Like let's let's make it work. Let's well, call the HJ. You know, everybody's like, oh yeah, let me just get no, that for you. No, we, <laughs> all we are all about finishing. Uh, the move, the move here is the naked man, which means there's no. You just walk in and so, close you off. There, so our clothes are off. We're doing it. We had a theory, uh, you know, like guys like go home, they meet a girl, they bring her back, you know, you don't really know how it's going to go. So we were like, well, what, Fast we, what, what if we just walked in and got naked? Then we put our cards on the table. Yeah. Either shake leaves and you get to put your clothes back on and go to the club or go to bed or she throws down. And so it was like basically like pushing the envelope. And like all of a sudden we were like, so as a pack, me and my buddies, we did it. And then uh, all of a sudden it was uh, paying massive dividends. And so I was telling these guys about it, and they were like, it's so genius. Well, like, Fisher's still young enough where he can yeah, still pull I mean, it off. Yeah, yeah, he's up. But so some very, very intelligent, high, very respected professional football players. <laughs> and uh, it was called The Naked Man. But that's also our, like, we, so store, uh, truth be told, we operate this business basically like a professional football team. Awesome. So it's like, if, if there's an opportunity, we just go all out. So yeah, we're we in. Let's do it. Make it do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's do uh, Well, then here, Power Athlete listeners, look for our exclusive limited edition Caveman Coffee Cleveland. Yeah. The great. only problem is uh, they have to listen to all two and a half hours to get, so we might have to cut this. The magic is. I hope you got somebody listens to two and a half hours, because now i got to go back and listen, because I don't know what the fuck we talked about. No, but it's amazing. Out. I got a smile on my face. It's a face. ton. Like, it's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, cool, man. All right. Well, good show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad this All is right, great. Guys, thanks. Holy Daddy, shit, Daddy, you're still fucking there? Dude, I just fucking... That shit was intense, man. <laughs> Holy shit. Now it's time for you to finally empower your performance. To learn more about Tate Fletcher, follow him on Instagram under his name or the name at Caveman Coffee Co. Visit CavemanCoffeeCo.com to purchase the delicious caffeinated nectar of the gods. Speaking of which, Power Athlete has partnered with Caveman Coffee Co. to get you jacked while you are also getting jacked. Keep your eyes peeled for details on this limited edition product launch. Until next time, bye! Gotta make this run no time. Little wild pill for them, little wild.